0: Hey, how you doing? It's Dave. Just want to get some business out of the way before this episode starts, and I'm just gonna get right to it. Infinity Sauce. You've heard me talk about it. I talked about it at the beginning of the Ron episode. I talked about it at the end of the Jake episode. But uh, this is my buddy's company: www.infinitysauces.com. These guys, they make award-winning, handcrafted, small-batch hot sauces. They are incredible. I love hot sauce. He has a hot sauce company. It's like a match made in heaven. It's a no-brainer for me that I would want to talk about them here on the show. The thing is, I don't have to give you some line about why I like this stuff. This is some of the best hot sauce I've ever had in my life, and it's, it's no joke. Let me tell you about these sauces. They are crafted to be flavor-forward, with the heat being a secondary component that adds to the complexity. Yeah, no, I didn't just make that up, actually. That's, I don't really know what I'm talking about when it comes to stuff like this. I just know what tastes good. OK, when I got my bottles in the mail the other day, I said on my Facebook, I'm afraid I'm going to drink this stuff like soda. And actually, half of one bottle is gone already. I'm putting it on things that hot sauce doesn't even necessarily normally go on to because I am almost addicted to it. It is that good. But you know what? You don't even have to take my word for it. You can decide for yourself because Infinity Sauce is making this offer. Email them your address. Send it to infinity at gmail.com spelled just like you would expect. Put, I've known you too long in the subject line, and they're going to mail you a free sample bottle of sauce. Free. That's confidence in the product. And I'm telling you, you're not going to be disappointed. I wouldn't even be talking about this stuff if I didn't absolutely love it and wasn't completely stoked on my friend's business and that he was doing this so well. It's the only reason it's here, and I'm thrilled to be able to talk about it, and I hope you guys will discover something that you love. Honestly get yourself a free sample bottle. See what I'm talking about. It's infinity sauce, the sauce for infinite uses. What's on your plate? Here we go. Well, here we are with episode eight of I've known you too long. My guest today is kind of a big deal for me. My guest today is Kevin Seconds from the band Seven Seconds, and uh, he was nice enough to agree to come in and sit with me uh, while he was up in Seattle for uh, one of his acoustic shows, and so I'm just going to get right into it right now with him. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Dave. Kevin, I've known you too long. Yeah, uh, and I'm bumping into your microphone. (laughs) That's all right. So (laughs) with everybody else that I've had on the show so far, the I've known you too long thing, these are people that have been pretty close to me, and I've said... I've known you too long. I've known you so long. Mm-hmm. I can't remember when we met exactly. Right. right. With you, I know. Okay. And see, I was thinking about this coming up here. I was going,
1: you know, some people that I've known for years, I can, I'll i come go back and go, I don't remember how we met.
0: <laughs> that's, and that's unfortunately <clears throat> at our advanced ages, that's getting more common. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. That's true.
0: <laughs> Amen. No. So uh, I, f- I first became aware of you when I was, when I was, uh, 16-year-old skateboarder. Mm-hmm. I got into skateboarding at 15, got a, got a skateboard for Christmas, 1986, I guess. Wow. That was when I was uh, skating. And right away, we were getting into all the punk rock and everything. And I was mm-hmm. already into suicidal and the Sex Pistols and heard some Generation X. But the town yeah. I grew up in didn't really have any access to even getting like maximum rock and roll or zines where oh, we could like yeah. order stuff. Every once in a while, we'd get a Thrasher yep. magazine, you know? So we're skating. It's a couple months in get in the car with some guys that we just met downtown they're going to take us to a skate spot and someone plugs in a cassette tape and it's walk together rock together oh nice and i'm floored like right and so it's the <laughs> first couple songs and i'm sitting there and then it gets to 99 red Balloons, and i turn to my buddy john dodd if you're listening john i remember this <laughs> and i said who is this and he says oh this is seven seconds so i'm like you know, I'm just saying it over and over to myself like seven seconds. I got to remember this. Right. This is, this is something else. And it's oh, just, wow. you know, it was the first thing that was kind of an immediate, I wasn't laughing at it because I thought I saw your mommy and your mommy's dead was funny. <laughs> um, or, you know what I mean? Or these guys yeah. are, what are these guys saying? I'm an anti- I'm an anarchist. I'm yeah. an, you know, yeah. it was, it was hitting something else. Nice. So, and you've heard all this stuff before, I'm sure. So I'm not trying I to never get sick of it. Oh, good, good. Cause <laughs> you can get some of it from me. That's very. I, I love it. It's very sweet. I appreciate that. So. Like I said, didn't have any way to get any money or didn't have any way to get any records. Didn't really have much money. I got a cassette tape and I took it to my friend at school, my friend, Matt Glenevich, mm-hmm. And I said, hey, man, because he had all kinds of stuff, all kinds of music. And I said, get, get me some seven seconds. I really want that seven seconds. With, you know, he said, I, I will. So over the weekend, he records a tape for me. He brings it back Monday morning. He says, I got the new seven seconds. I recorded that for you. Oh, funny. So I got new wind Ooh. thinking I was getting walked together, wrought together, which right. I had heard. One time, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it now see this is a place where I part ways with a lot of people who I guess you know have a different opinion of New One than I do. It's my favorite record, like because it that was what I was looking for, and I took it home, and I didn't you know I remembered the songs. I'm like, well, those songs aren't on here, Mm -hmm. but this is great, you know. Wow. Um. So then that began my it was it was an immediate my favorite band. A couple months later, I saw Minor Threat graffiti, and the same guy that recorded me the tape, I said what's minor threat he said oh wow. that's another band you're really gonna <laughs> like because he totally knew he knew what i was
1: all about i'm you just know? impressed that you you'd heard of us before minor threat i think that's that's really that's really funny
0: <laughs> and and in, and rapidly that all became common knowledge to everybody right. it was just the way things were expanding we were just this corner in the corner of the country yeah. uh, by the canadian border no no you know this is all so far pre-internet and so you know yeah, we weren't right. in any kind of a in any kind of a tour stop, really, or anything, yeah, yeah. we weren't getting to Seattle because we didn't have driver's licenses yet. This, like, <laughs> within a year, we were driving to Seattle to real record stores like Fallout Records, right. and then everything was the, the world was wide open. Yeah, you know? of course. So, a couple years later, I get to come see you guys. I saw Circle Jerks, Seven Seconds, Alphabet Swill, and SGM Community World Theater mm-hmm. in Tacoma, nineteen eighty-eight. Yeah. It was a great show. It was. It was a good show. Um, and there,
1: and there are rumors that Kurt Cobain was at that show. Oh, that's highly That's likely. like that. You know, I've heard people go, you know who was at that show? And I was like, I've heard it's Kurt Cobain was there. It's
0: like, <laughs> that, that, um, I see, I didn't, I wasn't really aware of him at the time. It was like another. Of year, course. Yeah. I was another, here. it was a, another <laughs> year or two before that was a name that people knew, but yeah. he was, I mean, sh- surely he was coming up. No, I think it time. was
1: before he was like, you know, playing really in or he, maybe he was just starting with Nirvana or something, but.
0: Well, it was June of 88. Is that what, yeah,
1: because yeah, we started a tour. Uh, that's right. Yes, and we did a whole summer tour with them. Nice. Circle
0: I also fell in love with SGM because I didn't really. I, have a, I no. still have the
1: flyer for that show. It's funny. You said, I, just I remember have their the, El- piece
0: of wear this room. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, it's it's not uh, as politically correct as things came to be yeah. later on. It's yeah. definitely got some, uh, some interesting lyrics in there. But it was a yeah. big deal for me at the time. Yeah. So that show was a big deal. We didn't actually meet. You know, you were. It was, I was just a kid in the crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I started writing you. I started doing a zine, started doing excursion fanzine, right. and at one point I wrote some stuff about how Seven Seconds had affected me. At stupidly, I felt old. I was like 22, and I felt like I was an old man. So I was being, re- I was reminiscing <laughs> about my childhood. That's great, but you understand because you wrote a song called Seven Years, mm-hmm. so you understand. I mean, that, uh, that's kind, you know. Yeah, I think right. at the time I was even thinking like, wow, it's been seven years since I heard Seven Seconds. Yeah, it's like that song, yeah. you know. So yeah, sure. So um, I sent you, I sent you that, and I believe you wrote me back, and it was you know that was very very nice. But I never had a chance to actually meet you face to face. Right now, I'm not going to put you on the spot to ask if you remember when we actually met face to face. I don't, but you'll remember it when I tell you.
1: Yeah, tell me because I, I because in my mind and I know we go back and I remember letter you know, the, the zine and stuff, but I just for me it's always nowadays it's like, um I think we just only we sort officially met on Facebook. You know, that's how I think. Oh and wait. I know it's not that but
0: here's what it is. Seven seconds played the Java Jump in Fife. Okay. I and think with, it was Knapsack. Yes. With Knapsack. That's the piece I couldn't remember. Yeah. Was that ninety six? Uh that would have been about right, yeah. Ninety six. Yeah. Tim McIntosh from trial mm-hmm. walks me up to you and he says, Kevin, this is Dave from excursion. See, that's can, it. That, and, and, and you said, you said something very nice to me that to let me know that you are, that you remember. Yeah, who I and was.
1: I see now I can kind of remember that. Like I, I can vaguely remember, you know, that exchange. It's, that's the thing. It's I need the trigger.
0: Oh yeah, and then from that point, and that was all. I mean, and Tim knew how much I loved the band. He knew yeah. that was that I, I had said. I he, you know, he was from Sacramento. Yeah, and he, he yeah. knew you from there, I guess, and right. the coffee shop and stuff. I guess mm-hmm. would already open. So, yeah. um, so after that, when you guys would come play, I just come up and say hello. Mm-hmm. And so that's been that's been common. But I know that's I don't know the exact date, but most of these podcasts, we can't get it down to a handshake or a hello. Yeah, and I know that's the day we actually actually met and looked at each other and said hello i know who you are
1: right right well and then you you know yesterday when you walked up i immediately knew who you were but it was again it was it's and i know that there's history i just i'm like i see your profile thing and i don't know what that says about me (laughs) but (laughs) but but it's funny because i've thrown people off like they'll go you, you like, what are you actually, do you read my posts? I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm not, it's not like I'm, I'm just, you know, like, no, of course not. Why would I do that? Silly.
0: Uh, yeah. I think, I, I think when you said that, I said, yeah, did you really recognize me or is it Facebook? <laughs> <laughs> Which is totally fine. Um, But so the point of establishing, so what we do in this podcast is we establish where we met and then okay. we go back from there and <laughs> I try to figure out how you became a person that I would have met. Like because most of the people that I meet are from this crazy music scene. Right. And I'm very interested on how people on the, on the, on the paths that people took to get there from all right. the way back. Sure. Um. And then after that, we can, once we get back up to, to that point, we can go forward and talk about stuff that sure. has happened since or you any lead interesting the way, whatever you. Uh... All right. So man, where did you come from? How do you, how does someone become you? <laughs> uh,
1: I was born in Sacramento, California. Uh, 54 years ago. And, uh, my dad was a cop. My mom was, uh, well, she was a teacher. She, she'd she been a lot of things, but she was a, was doing teaching. And then when she had me, she sort of had to just be a mom. I was the first kid in the, in a family, three of us. Um, and, uh, we moved around a ton and my dad was always sort of, uh, just a workaholic and a create, you know, he was just very restless, fairly conservative. My mom was just on the opposite end. She was like, educated in Berkeley and hippie and, you know, feminist and, and, and fairly political and kind of a little rubble. And I think maybe the opposites just sort of, that's why they get together. But, um, so
0: wait, so he was a straight up like political cut. conservative and she was a hippie from Berkeley. Yeah. 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 In fact, wow. uh,
1: my dad arrested my mom. It was at some sort of protest and she, he, he, she actually fell and broke her arm and he went to visit her in, in the, in the hospital. She went to the hospital and they were there they looking at it and, they just he like he felt for and then must have had the hots for or something and then they wow. went like that yeah it was kind of so a, your
0: dad was a cop yep you I heard you say that last night and I don't think I had ever heard that before
1: yeah yeah he was a cop for a number of years uh well you know my dad was like a World War two hero and he he had you know Purple Heart he he'd been severely he'd had some head injuries and I mean he was okay but he'd had shrapnel in his head and that he still had till he
0: died what what yeah. theater
1: um. You know, I think it was, uh, I guess it was just your Germany. And I mean, I, he was, you know, I, I'm not totally certain, certain okay. that that was like one of those things where, you know, I used to boast to my friends, he's got medals, but I had no idea what that meant. Or, right. And I also sort of rebelled, you know, like he, you know, because of, uh, you know, I was 10 when my parents divorced and I was so close to my mom. My My father was never very active in my life. You know, he was sort of like. When I, wanted, when I started to have an interest in like sports, you know, like I wanted to try out for a little league and, and my he couldn't be bothered. My mom was like, I'll take you down and we'll try it. And she'd, you know, I'd make the team and she'd bring cupcakes to the team. You know, she was really into that. And then when it came to art and music and, you know, all the other crazy stuff, she was always there. And my dad was always just like, you know, he was a an affectionate, loving father, but he just wasn't, he was just into his own thing. So they split up and got a divorce when I was ten, and uh, my mom raised the three of us kids, and we went through just you know there was no child support.
0: He he moved back to the Midwest where he's from, and was he was he <clears> a, <throat> a cop this whole time? Because you said you moved around a lot. Was he moving to different precincts or was like, no, was he, he keeping that job? He,
1: he was. It was a weird guy. He he, he was a he was a cop in um, some small cities in Northern California, Lincoln California, Catadi California, where li- really small places, Santa Rosa. And then he would like stop for a while, and then he became a welder, like he was a welder for a while, and then he went back into being a a, a cop in Sacramento. His brothers and he had like there uh, were generations of cops, and, like all these uh, old, you know old Italian dudes were cops in Sacramento. Um, but he and then he he decided he wanted to uh, retire and start his own security agency or security okay. business. So. When he and my mother, he he had retired from being a cop and he was just doing the security thing, which I still don't know what he did or, you know, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. did he sit in a car and really secure, a, you know, parking lot? I don't, I have no idea. I was really, I sort of lost interest in my father when I just realized he wasn't very interested in my life, you know, so. Right. Um, I mean, of course, you know, when they, when they first told us they were getting a divorce, I, I thought it was the end of the world. I couldn't even imagine what that meant for us. How,
0: how old were you? 10?
1: Ten yeah going on eleven, and you know I had a younger brother and sister Steve youth, my little brother uh my we have a middle sister who lives in new york um and it was just you know at first it was kind of cool because it was like well, at least we're going with the cool parent you know and she's you know but that meant that you know well you know this is we're talking the early seventies and just just living on welfare and you know i mean we were homeless for a while we, when we we lived in Sacramento. We were sort of moving all over the place, living in crappy apartments and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then, you know, we, uh, we had some friends that had lived in Reno and said, you know, there's tons of work in Reno. You can go up there and and work and and live and make a you know? So my mom was like, well, let's do it. So (laughs) she packed up the car. We went up there, lived out of motel rooms for like the first six months, just crappy hotels, motels. Yeah. And, uh, she got a job at a McDonald's. I had just turned sixteen. I got a job at the same McDonald's, and um,
0: you were working with your mom, at McDonald's yeah, in Reno.
1: Yeah, and I was uh, helping. I would just turn over the check to her just to help her pay rent, and you know, it was pretty grim for a while. It was wow, pretty hardcore. Yeah.
0: Was she? Did you guys have? Um, in terms of the authority of the positions at the McDonald's, mm-hmm. were you? Uh, was she like a, a manager over you? She
1: became a manager fairly quickly because she'd had experience. I had no. I mean, I delivered newspapers grit
0: newspaper, you know, just whatever I could right. do to make a buck. Wait, did you deliver grit? I did. I did. So those ads in the comic books back in the day that yeah. said sell grit for uh-huh. money, you are, you are the only person I know who ever has, that has ever told me they did it. And that means you've actually seen a grit before. Yes.
1: Yeah. And, and I, uh, yeah, I was into, I was so into anything that were, you know, when I was a kid where it said you can make money by sending a self address, I just send it and I would just sell anything because at a, as a kid, when you, get your first few dollars somebody hands to you for doing whatever you're just like wow independence uh-huh. you know and you and you get a, i could buy my a, own candy that's it and that's you know that's that's what you know that's what i did but yeah yeah it's a grit and it's old...
0: saving up for a slurpee
1: <laughs> back when a buck could get you like oh you know candy <laughs> a coke you know you could have like you get you'd, you'd be set up for the afternoon you know
0: I t- so candy has played a big role in my life yeah and i tell people that uh, it was really frustrating to me like the first time my mind kind of like I just seized up on something got really angry was when they changed the price of candy bars so they weren't 25 cents anymore.
1: Right. You yeah. couldn't get
0: 4 for a buck. Right. That's yeah. that's Isn't cra- nuts? that's crazy to talk to people that, now. Just that
1: you remember that there was candy for 25 cents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> candy like a bar. Sn- I could
0: get 4 Snickers bars. Yeah. Think about it, that's a lot, you know.
1: And you kid man it's like I remember we just we just mow lawns all day long or go help, you know, clean up. A, I had a there was an old gas station by these apartments we lived in. This guy Hutch ran it. Just this old, you know, guy that looked like Kojak and he would just <laughs> let us he would just let us, we'd clean up all the oil and the, you know, and we'd do all of the, the grunt work and then he'd give us like a buck each and we, <laughs> buck was amazing. And we'd go over to the Seven Eleven, and, you know, sometimes I'd go between like maybe get a couple candy bars and like a soda and then some gum or, you know, it, it, it's funny to think that that was so, you know. And it was a big deal. Such a big deal. Like you know, you were set for that day. And you were know? you
0: dropping quarters into video games and wasting it that way? Not
1: too? video games. I was a pinball guy. And in fact, it was when I was talking with Kelsey last night, or was it? No, no, no. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, there was a woman that came to the show in uh, Lacey last night who her and her husband own a bunch of pinball games and pinball machines. And she said, ah. were you ever in a pinball? And I was like, Oh yeah, that was my thing. And she's like, she gave me her card and I guess they have a, they have them all set up at their house. But yeah, I was big on pinball, man. And when you could put in a dime and you, know, you could play pinball and yeah. All
0: right, so do you remember your favorite pinball machine?
1: Oh man, I don't actually. Um I don't think I really I, Yeah, I didn't you know I know that that's one of those things I wasn't I didn't pay attention to details like that when I was a kid. I was just I just wanted to play and keep from tilting it. I don't. I I'm, I I I know I'm getting Get back in the van when I go to the show, mm-hmm. and I'm going to remember. <laughs> and but like my Steve, my brother, he w- he would remember the games exactly. Like he he he's just got that kind of.
0: There was a Ted money. Nugent one with the guitar, where it was the guitar was a gun.
1: I do remember that. I uh, see. I hated Ted the- Nugent even back then. Oh, even back then. Yeah, even though I was a rock and roll kid, and I you know I hated him, and and and, and not to be get all political really quickly, like, but. Uh, <laughs> I just hated that he was just such a, you know, cause back in the seventies, you know, he had the big, big beard yeah, and he was yeah. like, a, you know, and I, I there were some songs I thought he was good at, but I, and I knew all my friends loved Ted Nugent and even like Steve loved him, but I just – I remember reading an interview with him in Cream Magazine and he just seemed like such a dick. Like I was like yeah. – <laughs> like even then I thought, you're just trying to be a wild man. You're trying to be the crazy guy. And that was, of course, the interview where he actually talked about getting out of the draft and what he did oh, to get right. out of the draft. Mr. Now, Mr. Patriot and, you know. Yeah. But um, – uh, And
0: what, what was it he says he did to get out of the draft? He said
1: he – he he spent a week eating just nothing but garbage, and and then he shit his pants, and he didn't bathe for like a week, and then he went into the draft board thing. And, but he
0: shit his pants when he went into the draft yeah, board, yeah, so
1: that he would just be this smelly bum-looking guy with a shit in his beard and whatever. And then, of course, when I was a kid, I thought it was hilarious. But just later, you know, later on, when you realize just the things he's said, sure, you know, and it just you're just like you know. I don't know. I can't, like, I can separate that kind of stuff sometimes, but I just just never liked the guy. You had a never sense liked of it. Him. And yeah. I
0: didn't know his music at all. Yeah. I just, in fact, all I knew about Ted Nugent for a long time was that there was a pinball machine yeah. that had no, that guitar that. gun thing that was pretty damn cool. <laughs> when I had Free For All, like, I had some of his records and
1: he was somebody that I should have liked because that whole era of, of hard rock music, I just, I loved but there was something about him, man, that I just—I mean, I even went to like a Day on the Green festival in San Francisco when they used to have those in or Oakland, and it was like cheap trick and all these people. How old rush. were you? Oh, I was probably fourteen or something. Okay, you know, and uh, he was like when he got on, I was like, I'm gonna go walk over and yeah. go check. I just didn't even care. It was funny. I don't know why I didn't like him ever. He just
0: had a good sense. Yeah, yeah. So, talking about being fourteen and going to the Day on the Green, Day on the Green. Yep. Festival. Um, you're you're a rock kid. You're aware <laughs> mm-hmm. of Ted Nugent that young, yeah. Um, and I'm gonna ask actually ask a couple of questions regarding these age things here. But so, when did you start listening to music and knowing that you enjoyed music that was beyond like little kid music? Like, what's your first you know record? Your what you know?
1: Yeah. Well, I see. I so keep in mind that my father. I, I grew up in everybody in my family is very musically inclined. My father loved Johnny Cash and Waylon Jennings. He loved the country stuff. And could play. He he had a beautiful voice. He could play guitar. And I remember the the one thing that can think remember bonding with him on is just uh, with with is just sitting on the couch, or even almost at his feet, and he'd play, and I'd just be like, "This is great." I didn't even really like the music. I thought it was like corny old guy music, but I just loved it. And he had a great voice. My mom, on the other on the other hand, was into you know Motown, the the British you know invasion. Uh, later on, you know, in the in in the late sixties, she was into Hendrix, and she, I remember she had the Easy Rider soundtrack, and she would play that. And I just would I remember Hendrix kind of scared me because I I just immediately equated it with drugs, you know. But you know, just it just she was really into everything, and she uh, was so she was always playing forty fives and singing around the house. And at an early age, I remember learning how to sort of harmonize with her, you know, so, so we would do that. But yeah. Um, when I became, I, I just remember hearing three dog night, they had a couple songs. There was like joy to the world, you know? And then there was like, they had a couple like mama told me not to come. And it was kind of like, Ooh, this is like weird. You know, they what are they talking about? Drugs at a party? Like, what does that are mean? Are you,
0: are you six or seven?
1: <clears throat> um, no, I was probably about, probably about 10, 11. 10. Okay. Yeah. So
0: that's kind of when you're like,
1: I mean, radio was always on and, you know, you'd hear, you know, I don't know, Elton John or whatever it was on the radio. And, and, but I was never a radio kid. I was, a I was actually early on. I, I, I learned the big difference between radio, uh, AM radio and, and FM radio. Mm-hmm. And I knew that you could tune in late nights on some FM station and there'd just be this guy going, all right, we're going to play like the entire, you know, side of Black Sabbath or whatever. And that just appealed to me because it seemed very personal and intimate and it seemed like they were just doing whatever they wanted to do. And later on, you found that they were. Like, Freeform FM music was a big deal in the late 60s and 70s. So I got turned down to that really early on. And because of that, I'd also, I think, developed an appreciation for entire albums, not just hit singles, you know, and that kind of stuff. But I think my first, first time I ever wanted to go buy a record, and I just talked about this last night because the guy from Monoreals.
0: Peter? Yes, yes, Peter. Oh, we went out with him last night.
1: Yes, yeah, good guy, great band, great songwriter. Holy crap! But he, um, he was he had a song about Grand Funk Railroad, which is really funny, and uh, that was the first band I think the first record I ever bought was Mark Don and Mel Grand Funk Railroad, Mark Don and Mel, and that was when it was like the you know, hard rock, you know. So then, at that point, I was like, okay, I really like loud guitar riff driving music, and so that's kind of what started it all. After that, it was. Sabbath and Deep Purple and Blue Easter cult and all of that stuff, you know. Um but yeah, and that you know, in in the seventies there were so many concerts, you know. I mean you could pay four dollars and you'd go see, you know, an all day thing where it was like Rush, uh Fog Hat, you know, Ted Nugents, cheap trick, you know. I mean it was insane. <laughs> and it would just be sixty thousand And you had
0: a mother that would take you to that mm-hmm.
1: stuff. Yeah. Or you know, a friend that would, they were just, you know, we always had, my mom was always den mom of of whatever neighborhood we lived in. So the, everybody always hung out at our house. It was always a big, you know, open door, you know, so between the moms of all my friends, everybody was sort of similar. So everybody would just kind of go to shows, but we were too young to go ourselves. So yeah, we'd, we'd have to be uh, driven, you know, but I mean, that stuff just was so phenomenal to me. Just the idea that, that many people would gather to go listen to this amplified music i mean if i if i really think about it it was probably the worst sounding crap ever because it was at a stadium and yeah you know, but just the you know people would be throwing it's frisbees ex- at each other yeah the know, whole I, thing like people would be smoking pot out in the you know middle of you know this field and you would think this is just insane like i even if it was stuff that i wasn't even into i was just like i've ne- i can't i never knew this existed you know like how do they do this you know how did they come up with this idea
0: uh, you talked about hearing hendrix on the easy rider soundtrack yep and you said it scared you because it, it you made it made you think of drugs
1: yeah that song uh if 6 was 9 do you know it was just so well, probably because i knew a little bit about easy rider too and
0: well so my question is how how do you do you think at that time
1: um uh, it, it had to be
0: 10 11 why were you afraid of drugs
1: oh just you know because uh we lived in uh the the worst neighborhoods we could possibly live in. Cause it was cheap. And uh, it was usually these apartment complexes. And uh, at an early age, I understood, you know, not just my own family, but families that we were living next door to and underneath, everybody was poor and everybody was just sort of struggling. And uh, a lot of bikers and, you know, dudes that would work on their cars at three o'clock in the morning. And, you know, <laughs> like I, I heard the word amphetamine way too early in life. I knew that that was a thing. Um, you know, I also knew that, I mean, everyone I knew smoked pot, you know, and everybody was, it was just part of the culture and it's what you did. And if you didn't, you were just a square. When you were
0: that age, which is Mm -hmm. essentially junior high. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's, let's separate this out just a little bit. You moved to Reno at 10?
1: No. No. No, no, I didn't. We didn't move to Reno until I was uh, sixteen. Oh, okay. Yeah, so,
0: yeah. so you did both grade school and junior high in Sacramento. Sacramento, yeah. With the same people, same school district, or were you moving no, around there too? No, we
1: moved around tons. In fact, I, I remember way back when LiveJournal was a thing, uh, mm-hmm. they would let you put in all your schools, and I just thought, I never do that stuff, so I tried to do it, and I realized. Let's see. I went to between kindergarten and sixth grade. I went to. Seven schools.
0: Oh. Yeah. You were the new kid all the time. Always,
1: yeah. And there was even a time that I remember uh, it would really suck because I would have friends that uh, – it would get to the point too where I would cut school to go hang out with my friends going who were going to the other school or they would do the same thing. Like that was a thing to do. Um, but yeah, I went to a lot. We moved around a lot and, and just enough to where we were just outside of that area that, so you'd have to go to another school And uh, it was, it was just a bummer. It was just a bummer. I think it's one of the reasons that I didn't take to, after about fourth grade, I went to first, second, first to fifth grade at the same school, Mariposa. And that was a great experience because I was, you know, I'd had teachers that seemed like they cared. And then after that, it was just like, it seemed like I was going to school every few weeks, (laughs) which it wasn't true, but it
0: Right, like... but it was, and you were having a sitting with new class of kids you didn't yeah. know, and they would all worked out their pecking orders. Right. Where did you fit in all that?
1: N- I didn't. I didn't. I was, I was. That's well, I... an
0: interesting perspective. I'm trying to figure out a little bit about how one becomes Kevin seconds. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you're not Kevin seconds yet.
1: No, I you're, was, I was very shy, painfully so, very introverted. Uh, I I knew early on that I li- I liked being around girls and I, I had an attraction to girls, but I was terrified of them. I didn't know how to talk to them. And if I found out, if somebody would say, that girl likes you, I would just go, you know, I would, I would actually run. I would be, I was, I, cause I didn't know how to f- deal with, it. I mean, granted, who does
0: it? You, you know? liked being around them, but you didn't want to have to talk. I did
1: because I just, I wasn't, uh, at an early age, I saw, you know, a lot of my friends were just already in, doing either the jock. I, 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 and I say friends, I didn't have a lot of friends in grade school. Yeah. Um, but I didn't fit in into anything. And so to, just to avoid the awkwardness of like not wanting to go do, and, and, and I, there were, there were moments where, I mean, I did go through phases throughout my young life where I liked sports and I tried out for it. But I think it was just really trying to fit in somehow. And, you know, I wasn't particularly good at any of that stuff. I could get on a team, you know, but I wasn't, I was never like the, the the star guy or ever you know and uh but you
0: could do it you weren't the slowest yeah you that,
1: okay. no not the slowest and 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 you know i i was too small for football and that really bummed me out and i was too slow for basketball but i could play i could shoot and i could drill but i was just never quite there you know and uh yeah the alternative was like my friend i learned early on that there were my friends who were just going to school and getting stoned behind the school uh-huh. and then just laughing at each other and doing that and i tried that and i was like well this isn't my thing either so i would just go sit in a library and read in a in like a freaking encyclopedia or something and i wasn't a nerd i maybe it was but i just didn't really have i wasn't comfortable you know I, and and as i got older and i was going through junior high and high school i I just wasn't no one was engaging like there was no teachers that were inspiring me Wait, so
0: this went into high school too but that gets yeah. you that gets you into reno nope. so that no, no.
1: I went to Reno. I went to Roseville High School, um, which is a suburb above uh, Sacramento, okay. just north of Sacramento. And uh, I quit in the 11th grade. I, I just, I just, I, I'd already started to really realize that I was drawing a lot. I was always drawing mm-hmm. and uh, just on everything and getting in trouble for just drawing on stuff that I wasn't supposed to draw. And I was already just getting into music and I would sneak circus and cream magazines in my, you know, school stuff and just sit there and just read and look at photos of like, you know, Jimmy Page playing guitar and just think, holy crap, man, this is who, this is who I am, you know, not knowing anything about how to play music. And so then I would just try to go for anything. Like I was in choir in a couple of schools and did well at that. Did well, always did well in like graphic arts and all the art stuff. Sure. But just, uh, that's about it. You know, everything else was like math was just doing. I, I was so horrible at it. I I just couldn't. And I didn't want to learn it. You know, I didn't want to. Yep.
0: I, oh, I understand that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, to <laughs> me, it was just like, of course, you know, then I was like, God, why didn't I learn how to do that? But at the time I was just like, I just don't know who needs this crap, man. I'll you know, so, um,
0: the classic, I'm never going to use this, <laughs> which is ridiculous when you <laughs> it's think about it, ridiculous. You, know?
1: you know, and, but you know, it is what it is. And so I, uh, just had lost interest in school in high school, and and then I started to kind of fall back and hang out with the stoners just to just to escape, you know the the reality of like I'm stuck in this like until you know whatever time in the afternoon night we got out, and and at that point I started to get a little better with talking to girls, and girls would show interest, and so I just all of a sudden I was like there's a whole world world out there that. Is like has nothing to do with high school that I want to go towards. And, and you're and you're sixteen. <clears throat> yeah, about sixteen.
0: First girlfriend.
1: First. <laughs> you don't have to name how you, anybody's name. How do you mean that?
0: <laughs> no, uh, I... I, I'm, I'm interested to hear my how my you... first
1: girlfriend Find was it. Tina Tina Turner. Believe it or not, there was a we lived in this apartments <laughs> in Citrus Heights, California, just a fourplex apartment thing, and we lived on the bottom floor bottom. So there's four you know, two on the left, right, and then on top. We lived next door to the swimming pool, which was great because we would on Saturdays we would put the stereo speaker in the window, my bedroom window, and then you could blare out, you know. And I just remember for whatever reason, and I still to this day think of it, I just think of schools out, (laughs) follow up like you could just hear that and everybody would be like, Yes But um the upstairs were the Turners and they had it was insane. They had a two bedroom apartment and there was the mom and dad and then four kids and maybe five kids, and the oldest daughter was Tina. She was my age. And, and just
0: I, to specify for people who are listening right now, you're not talking about Tina Turner.
1: I dated <laughs> Tina Turner, yes. Ike uh, was very mad. <laughs> no, of course. I'm not that old. Jesus. I
0: know, but listen, there it may, <laughs> there been may, cool, be, a, there may be a perspective issue for our younger listeners. Right, I got gotcha. you.
1: <laughs> Unfortunately, no, it was not it was uh, the that. Tina Turner. It was to be a Tina Turner. Turner, and she was, you know, uh, really cute, and I just thought she was so nice, and she would just listen to me, just say nothing and just look at me as though I was just a genius. And I, you know, I needed that in my young life. So, wow. but yeah, we would, you know, we would make out a lot and I didn't really, I had no idea of what you'd, you know, you would do with an actual girlfriend, you know, but she became my girlfriend, which meant, to all the other boys in the neighborhood hands off cuz that you know Tina's Kevin's girlfriend and Kevin's Tina's boy you know right and um but we mostly did a lot of things like we played a lot of spin the bottle and and I would get she would get jealous if I kissed another girl and I'd get jealous it was just silly sure. sweet stuff but yeah she was sort of my first girlfriend and then okay. uh, they moved away and I was devastated
0: they and, moved away and you were devastated but did that was that the thing that kind of opened up the being able to talk to girls um i
1: guess so i think uh I think my sister, uh, my sister Carrie was just a very, she was always really able to talk to everybody and, and everyone loved her because she was just funny and smart and she still is amazing. And she, I think I learned a lot from her to be, to be honest, she, even though she was younger, I think I just would watch her interact. And I I'd think, well, if there's girls like that, I can, I, you know, she, cause she'd always, she could start a conversation and I think, well, so if I can find a girl that well, at least, you know, if I don't have to be the guy that comes up and says, Hey baby, what's going on? You know, cause to this day, like, you know, in the few times I've been single and I'd had a girlfriend or, you know, I've had, you know, a wife of course now, but I uh, was never good at going up and and saying how's it going, you know. I I never had a line. What's your sign? Never anything. Any <laughs> I, I like. It would either have to be a woman who was just independent and uh, like, hey, how how are you? Like she'd it just kind of like, happen
0: organically. Always, and, yeah. always,
1: yeah. Or it would have to be somebody that you know I, I was a friends f- with forever, and we just like one night we're like, hey, I think we like each other, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was. Uh, I think Tina was just um, it just sort of re- let me know that. Uh, you know, okay, well, I, I, I guess I like girls, so this is cool. You know, like I'll whatever this wherever this takes me, I'll go.
0: <laughs> nice, and this is all still Sacramento. This is all before you leave. Yes, yeah. and punk rock doesn't even become come onto your radar mm-hmm. in high school. Like you're no, out no. of high school before that even is. Yeah,
1: yeah. Part I quit, of the game. Quit my third year, and it was kind of a thing because my mom was in the ed, you know in the school system as an educator, and but she was very cool. She my mom was always like have you thought about this, you know, and do you, do you realize, you know, that this could be, and I was like, yeah. And she said, well, at some point, you know, I want you to, um, it's funny. Cause I don't even know if GD was the thing that they called it then, but she said, I, I want you to get your, you know, I think you should, you know, think about going back or, or whatever. And I said, yeah, 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 whatever, you know, but, um, And then later on, I did get my GED, but it was like I even then I was just I'm just really still doing this just so that I can say to my mom, you know, by the way, mom, I did get that, you know, right. Because at that point, you know, but yeah, there was no um, I had started to I got the bug in about ninth, 10th grade um, that I wanted to play music in a band. And I didn't really know what that meant because we're talking you know the mid '70s, and you, you know there were no. It wasn't like you could go to a club and see an all ages show. That didn't exist. Right. It was either you went to a battle of the bands. It was at a parking lot in the shopping center, and you'd see these bands, which I did. There was a battle of the bands one summer day in Roseville, California, and this band called Black Diamond that were doing Kiss songs. And I, they were. I could tell they were my age, and they were just killing it. And this guy had a. This one kid had a Gibson, black Gibson Les Paul. And I'm like, mm-hmm. he's like. 14, 15, and he's like got a less Paul and, you know. So I was just on that, just blew my mind. And uh, I couldn't believe it. I just was like, kids are doing this. Okay, I can do this. So I remember talking at a buddy across the street, Corey Fought, F A U T T. And I said, You should play drums. I'll play guitar. And so he was like, All right, I'll do that. So his, I think he did get drums and we just tried to do something. And I didn't even really know how to form, uh, fully form chords or anything. You know, I was kind of doing this thing where I put my finger across it and just go, wah, 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 you know, yeah. it just t- sounded terrible. But yeah, <laughs> I was, I, the minute that bug set in, I was, that was it. I was, I was like, I, cause for years I was growing up, I didn't have any huge highfalutin uh, goals other than to be, I wanted to be an FM disc jockey. I had a, a really a just crazy obsession about being in radio, to the point where I would beg my mom to take me to radio stations, and she would go and ask if if they would give a tour to her son, and they would show so show, show us around. And it, to me, it was just amazing, just seeing this kind of equipment. And, wow! Oh, it was crazy. I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And then, um, for well, early on, I wanted to be because my my uncle Ron was a uh, he was a jockey, an actual. That's funny. I wanted to be a jockey and a disc jockey. Uh, <laughs> so he was, he, he was, was a jockey. He horses. My grandfather, my mom's father, uh trained racehorses and um uh, he was a jockey. And I, and I remember just thinking, the, I, he was a real cool dude, just a great guy and funny. And I remember saying to him, I'm going to, I want to be a jockey like you. And he told me, you know, Kevy." think you're going to be too tall to be a jockey. And I was heartbroken. Oh. I was like, cause you know, he was a tiny man and, I, and he had to be little. And I was like, you're kidding me. You mean I can't be like, and he's like, no, I, th- I think you're going to probably be about six feet, you know, and you can't be a jockey. And I was like,
0: no. <laughs> oh no, crushed.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I found out you didn't have to be, um, you could, you didn't have to be short to be a disc jockey. So that was the next thing. But other than that, <laughs> it, it went right to music. I was like, I wanted to do, to do music. And uh, I just was, you know, I mean, I, I think the research I did was pretty much Cream Magazine was the, okay. the thing. So
0: the one more question that I have <laughs> about young, young Kevin, especially with the moving around the different schools and having mm-hmm. to deal with all these different kids in the pecking order. Fights? Um,
1: yes, but only because I was just, I, I must have had the face that just said, pick on me. So um, you weren't
0: a fight starter?
1: Not a starter um and many of them yes and here's here's a here's my thing and I think I've I've mentioned this before in interviews but uh so in junior high in 7th grade I went to I live we lived in a town called Folsom which is another suburb at the time it, well where Folsom person is mm-hmm. it was very very redneck very conservative all the kids had very short hair crew cuts I uh my mom let me grow my hair out long and uh I was also uh, obsessed with the TV show Kung Fu with mm-hmm. David Carradine mm-hmm. And his character, Quai Chan Kane, you know, he's a Buddhist, You know, he's. This, it's, I mean, it was when you think about that was an actual TV show, kind of blows my mind because it was, oh yeah, way high-minded. Like for, I mean, of course, it always came down to him kicking you know three cowboys' asses or whatever. But it was just I loved his character how he would just walk through very peacefully, He wouldn't say anything. Sometimes he'd play the flute, and then uh, he'd try to back out of a fight, and then finally he just okay, you want it? It's on. I'm <laughs> I'm going to kill you. So. I would walk around, and this is probably why I got picked on. I would walk around. I actually begged my mom to get me a brown corduroy coat that I thought looked like his. I'm not kidding. <laughs> this is sad.
0: No, it's not sad at all.
1: And I developed <laughs> the way to speak. So I would, instead of going, hey, man, what's going on? I'd be like, how are you today? Like, I'd, I'd try to oh. be very calm. And uh, I mean, it's funny because I now see why kids really were just like, what is up with this motherfucker? Like, who does who, he think he is? <laughs> But the the downside is that I didn't know kung fu, so if when it came down to like fighting (coughs) back, I was screwed, you know. So you knew TV kung fu. I knew TV kung fu, and I would just and and that actually did help me because I would think, what would Kane do? You know, what he (laughs) he'd go back and you know how he would go back. Did you ever see this show? Yeah, yeah. He'd go back and think about when he was at the monastery and what you know grab the snatch the the, pebble. Yeah, yeah. Did you uh, make
0: someone hold a pebble?
1: No, I would have though if I could, if I if I could. (laughs) I would have, I would have asked somebody. That, Can I refer to you as master or something or other? Okay, we're gonna
0: pin this right here. We're coming right back to it. Okay, where did any of this end up in your lyrical content later on in your life?
1: Wow, what an interesting question. Uh, well, I think I just always as you know as angry as much anger as I've had in my myself, I think I've always uh sort of wanted to be. Kane. Like I always wanted to get back to my inner Quai Chang Kane, you know, like I really, truly, like I always, even when I am just being a complete dickhead, you know, and I know I'm being a dickhead. I think there's always this thing where I'm just like, okay, work with this through your head. Think about what you're doing and think about all you know the, the cause and effect and all that stuff and just try to Try to realize that, you know, this is unnecessary. So
0: you, but you have no lifted lyrics from no. dialogue or the no. plotting of the show. Uh-uh. Okay. No. I, I, I'm surprised. I would think that something would have seeped in somewhere.
1: In fact, I, it was like a, uh, a, a secret I carried for a long time because oh, I just okay. thought it was so corny. And, and <laughs> I was also sort of admitting to being like a, you know, which I, you know, a child you know, kids of the seventies. I mean, TV was a big deal. Yeah. So I was sort of also admitting that like, you know, I watched a lot of TV when I was a kid. But it just was, you know, just, I don't know. I mean, it's funny that that show, and I've talked to people my age, you know, since then, and people are like, I had the same, that show had the same effect on me, which <laughs> now I'm like, well, that's cool. It's good to know, you know.
0: All right, so pin, we're, we're taking the pin back out. You're that age. You're walking <laughs> around. You, you were telling a specific story about a specific fight? Well, so there was a
1: kid in, uh, that would always pick on me in the P.E., class or whatever and i had long hair and his name was i'm, I'm not even kidding his name was kit karstens <laughs> okay yeah and he um he was just this like white trashy you know dickhead and he was a bully and he would do things he would purposely place himself behind me if we'd have to stand in line for like calisthenics or whatever he would do this thing where he would he had a way to re- do this thing with a rubber band around his fingers and then he would let it go in my hair and it would like just catch in my hair and he would do it and I would just sit there and spend the rest of the day trying to do it and I just wouldn't fight back and I remember a couple people saying you got to fight back you know well he called me out that was a big thing you know when you got called out after school back behind the shed you know that's where we're meeting And, 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 and that it wasn't even the fighting it just terrified me to be Because it would always be two guys or two girls, and then just a a crowd of people. A crowd of people. And the crowd terrified me. The idea that these people would sit and witness me being slaughtered, or you know, (laughs) and so I was just, you know, I was just a very passive, scared kid, fearful, very fearful. And I think it's just because of the way we grew up. There was just always violence around. There was always like stuff going on that just, as a kid, I couldn't understand. I, I knew it was very adult and very serious, and I just didn't know how to process it you know so i try to ignore it but you couldn't so i think by the time i was you know in junior high high school i just i just was like i don't want any part of this you know anyways he just kept at me and finally a guy said uh, a friend of mine said you gotta fight back man you can't so you just... didn't go behind the. no okay no no i just i would just hide out in the library or whatever right. um and then uh i finally just one day he he did that and I turned around and I said, don't do that again. Don't ever do that again. And he just looked at me. So then a couple of days went by and he didn't say anything. I was like, wow, that kind of worked, you know? And uh, so <laughs> a of course- stern
0: confrontation. Yeah, like,
1: oh, that's all it took is for me to turn around <laughs> and have this look in my eye like, motherfucker, you know, come at me, bro, you know? So <laughs> that it kind of, maybe, maybe even a week. And then like, he did it again and he called me out and I said, I accept, I will meet you. Oh, and I was just like, "What am I doing?" And and so the whole day, uh, have you? There's a movie. There's a movie out called um, 3 O'clock High." Three O'clock High. You know what I'm talking it's about? Awesome, right? One of the greatest things. Wait, just... so
0: you were then trying to hire someone to go beat him up for no, you? No, no. Okay. But
1: th- when that movie came out, I was just like, I the the fear that the kid has, where oh, he's looking yeah. the clock, and he just oh. he knows that this crazy, this you know, and and my guy wasn't even that big, you know, he right. was just a scrawny kid. But he just he had enough confidence, and he had enough backup. He always had backup. He always had these guys that followed him around. Yeah. So to-
0: toadies, they call those. Is that what it was? Uh, okay, I think so. I don't or even toadies. remember. Just
1: they, they yeah. He he had it. They called it the. They actually called themselves the the Kit Carson's gang. They they oh. had a name for it. And so for me, it was just like it was it was just a big, uh, you know, it was just a big. I like, I visualize what went down in prisons, you know, and I'm just like, I'm not ready for this, you know, but I was just so angry and I already wanted out of school. I was just like, maybe they'll kick me out of school if I go and fight this kid. So I go there and everybody's waiting. And I had one friend sort of who just was there. And, you know, uh, we only liked each other cause we both loved deep purple, the band deep purple, right. but I go there and, uh, you know, it's like, okay, it's on. And I'm just like, I didn't, no one had ever taught me how to put on my fist or doing that kind of stuff. So I just sort of probably thinking about some movies or something I'd seen on TV. I just kind of put my fist up to block my face and he went to punch me and he missed and I just punched him right in the face. And then it was on, I was so excited because I saw him stammer and I, I wanted to kill him. Like, I think I was trying to kill him. And my thing, the few fights I'd been in as a kid I always had to cuss while I was doing lot and like, you motherfucking cocksucker dick! But blah, blah, blah. like I had oh. to yell I, I remember one time I got in a fight, and I actually went to. My, I, like, I was it's like seven. A story, and I asked my dad, "Oh, is
0: it when the kid snaps? He's like cursing." Oh, you. I
1: don't. I don't remember. I didn't know that. That's funny. <laughs> um, no, I I remember asking my dad years years back when I was getting gotten uh, got in a fight with a neighbor kid. Dad, is it okay if I cuss? You know that guy's, and he's like, "If you got to do that, I guess you got to do it." <laughs> but yeah, I was I was just motherfucker, and I was just trying to pulverize this kid. And finally a teacher came out there and, and grabbed me and, uh, you know, enough. And then the kid was, he was crying and I just was so happy that I made him cry. I was like, finally, I win at something. Like, finally, I'm like the guy that like, I didn't even know if I cared whether the other kids thought of anything. I was just like, he'll know that, I, that I'm, I'd had enough, you know? And so that was it. And after that, it was just like in the movies, there was a new found respect girls were sort of going, hi, Kevin, you know, like, oh it was my just God,
0: a- it's such a terrible <laughs> lesson that it's real, that it really right? works that way. Like, and I don't know if dads still teach their kids how to fight other kids or tell I them hey, if you got it. I mean, I got, look, I didn't get in fights, but I got great advice from my dad about what to do if I did. I, w- was just like, I wish I hey, had. Number one, I don't want you to fight. Number two, if you do get in a fight, A, B, and C, yeah. like, you know, and that's, yeah. I don't know if the kids get that kind of lesson anymore. I don't think and maybe it's good. Yeah. I still think there's going to be some kind of repercussions. Of course. Yeah.
1: And well, and, and what little I did know, it was just from friends of mine who I knew were badasses who carried knives and who would pick yeah. up a rock and stuff. So <laughs> that was honestly in the back of my mind. Like if, if I can't, if I start to lose, I'm going to pick up a rock and hit him in the head with it. You know, like I was thinking like what that. What a total, total commitment. Yeah. No, just because I thought he was that crazy that he wanted me dead. I, in my oh. mind, he just, he, he was constantly at me and he obviously had a beef with me. So I was like, he just really wants me out of the picture. So I have to think like that, I guess, but luckily just getting, you know, just getting the first edge and then just not letting him up sort of like MMA yeah. fighting where it's just wow. like, once you're down, I'm not going to stop. So that was the deal. Were and you
0: kicked out of school?
1: No, I did get in trouble. And, uh, I, they said, they called my mom and uh, my mom, I knew already that my mom was going to come in there and go, I, when I get you home, da 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 But I knew that then she'd look at me and say, I'm glad you, you know, you oh, stuck up because she knew I was going, one of the things that I did was I, one of the big beefs with the kids in my school was that I had a hair little past my shoulders. Uh-huh. And she was really big on letting me do what I felt was right and stuff. And, and she probably should have just said, you know, honey, you should just cut your hair so you don't get picked on all the time. But she was trying to be a cool mom is what she was trying to do and give me my freedom, which now sure. I appreciate that. But yeah. So she came down and got me and, and, uh, asked me about it. And I just said, you know, well, I cussed and I, you know, I da da da. So I don't remember, I don't think I got expelled. Or I think I, th- I think I just got you know, reprimanded or anything. But like I said, at that point, I was just so done with it. You the know, other I question
0: went, I have is what happened then when you saw him later? Did he still stand behind you? When he, you were doing-
1: no, no. He stayed away. For, he avoided me. And uh, he uh, there was even kids. There was a girl that was his sister's friend mm-hmm. who there were there was a rumor that she liked me. She told a friend. And uh, she... Uh, I think it was even maybe more of an insult to him that like his sister's friend would like me or something, oh. but he stayed away from me. And then, uh, eighth grade, he tried to be friends with me. He actually tried to be nice to me. Oh,
0: the, the, the cycle completes basically just at that point. like
1: maybe, the, you know, like now I think was, there, is, was he going to come up and say, you know, I respect you kid, you know, but, but That's I, kinda how it works though.
0: No, it is kind of how is Is that what you're saying? I, I mean, I had yeah. one of my very, very close friends, mm. um, picked on me relentlessly through through grade school yeah, and in junior high became one of my very closest friends and he straight up told me he was like oh no we're friends now oh funny oh man what (laughs) no that's not gonna happen and he was like and I thought but the thing is I thought it was an elaborate ruse to just find another way to pummel me you know but then he ended up (laughs) being a very very close important friend of mine to this day yeah so I mean it's I, I for some people they don't know how to act I guess it's like a in a weird way it's like a boy pulling a girl's hair that he likes. You know? Yeah. Maybe there's a you wanna you don't know how to become friends with that person. So maybe I think we you're fight right about that. That's then a really we, good point. We fight first and then we can become friends because yeah. we've already tested the waters well, with each other.
1: Yeah, and I have that I've had that happen in the punks hardcore scene where you know someone who just hated me and used to talk and, and like was an enemy you know in their in in his mind later on we you know would approach me and say you know i was i was a, you know i don't know if you remember but i was like sig hiling you in st louis or whatever and I'm, i totally grew <laughs> up and i got out of that shit but we i've become friends with some of those dudes now you know right. and and i didn't make i didn't pursue it i would you know it's like but and a lot of it i don't remember but it's just like you know that does happen where it's like you know i don't i don't know i don't know why i was like you're a really cool guy i don't know why i hated you
0: so much (laughs) oh it's difficult okay so i we've this is i basically got all the different points i look for in that i kind of i think i I got it figured out a little bit let's get you to reno you're you've dropped out of school and now you're in reno
1: uh, yes. Yeah. I dropped out of school and, and I did have an idea. Well, so my thing was, is that I knew that I knew we were going to struggle when we went up to Reno, even though my mom was like, no, they're, you know, they're jobs waiting for us. And we were going to live with a family, uh, one of her best friends and her son and daughter, they had a house and we were going to live with them for a little while until we could get on our feet. And, um, I, I guess I was just, well, okay. So when I, I don't want to skip this part cause this is sort of a musical thing. So at 15, I finally got the courage to try out for a band as a singer. And I there used to be a a newspaper in Sacramento called Rock and Roll News. It was just a local mm-hmm. paper, and it would it usually would have like Aerosmith on the cover. But they covered local the local club scene, which I didn't relate to because it was I was a kid. But then on the back they had a classified section, and they would have a you know help. We need you know we're a band. We're looking for a singer. We're You know, I'm a guitar player. I'm looking for a band. So I answered an ad that was looking for a singer who liked, you know, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, da-da-da. And just thinking like, well, you know, I can mimic all that stuff. It's stuff I grew up with. So I tried out and I lied to them and said I was 18. These guys were all 18 and 19. I lied and said I was 18. Um, they, They said, well, can you do like rock and roll from Led Zeppelin, you know? And I did it, but I thought in my mind I was doing... Robert Plant's sort of falsetto. I mean, I, but I, I wasn't actually going, been a long time. I was like, been a long time. You know, like I was singing like girly voice and they liked it. So they actually hired me whatever that meant. And uh, we did, we did, we rehearsed a lot. It was all covers. And uh, the guy would, I didn't even have a car. The guitar player would pick me up and we'd go like 20 miles to our practice space and then he'd have to take me back. And uh, we did a <laughs> they couple- figure out how old you were? No, I don't think so. Um, It's, it's pretty funny. So we did a couple gigs, party gigs and I remember just, I was a poor kid. So I asked my mom to take me to a thrift store and I bought like these. This is so embarrassing. My Steve Youth just brought this up maybe three weeks ago. He goes, You remember <laughs> when you went to the store and you bought these purple bell bottom, like they were like crushed velvet? In my mind, that was like rock and roll pants. And then I had these like sort of weird boots that had a little bit of a heel. I just wanted to look like I was taller. <laughs> and just, I mean, it was so ghetto and terrible. But I did the show, and it was fine, whatever. And then um, that's when my mom said, "I, you know, I just think we can't make it down here. We need to move. So we moved to Reno. But I carried the idea that I want to be in a band with me up there. So the minute we got – What was the name of that Band. <laughs> Bastille, but Bastille, B A S T E E L, and <laughs> and uh, dude, and the guitar player John Oster, who was an amazing guitar player. He was he loved Richie Blackmore, and like he copied him, looked like he, I mean, he was like a slightly chubbier guy, but he oh, wore wear all black and he had a funny hat like Richie Blackmore. He uh, was an amazing guitar player. Later on in the nineties, he was in a like a black metal band in Sacramento called. And it was like it was a name. They shared with like three other bands, not Obituary, but that kind of name, mm-hmm. Enthroned. Okay, Enthroned, and I think there's one from like Sweden, and they were the Sacramento Enthroned, and they were heavy. And I saw, I ran into him at a, I, there was a big practice space, and we we had a room across from, him. and I I just I was always thinking oh, if I ever see John, I wonder if I'll recognize him. Well, I saw him, and he looked totally different. I said, "Hey, John, my name's Kevin. I don't know if you remember this, but back and da da da," and he he just looked at me like, oh. Okay. Like he didn't, he didn't register, like, or he was too cool because now he's like a, like a black metal guy, you know? Oh, that's too bad. But it didn't matter. I I didn't even (laughs) care, you know? I was almost just as embarrassed about it as as he, he could have ever been. But yeah, yeah, that was a, that was my entry into being a musician.
0: Okay. But we're still not at punk rock. No. There's, there has, there's, there's a, what, what gets you
1: to punk rock? Um, so, okay, so we moved to Reno seventy seven. 77. We're staying in a, we're living in a motel called the Western Motel that's no longer there. And uh, there's a, there's a special on one of the big networks. NBC had a thing weekend, I think it was the show. And they were like, uh, there's a crazy thing going on in England right now. The kids are going, they're choking each other and it's violent and it's negative and it's this and that. And, you know, they worships. Hitler and just, I mean, it was just oh. everything they could say. And um, I was working at McDonald's and I just was sort of like still loving all the rock and roll records I was buying, but I was just um, missing. Oh, also too, disco was becoming a big deal. And I was finding out that any anybody that was my age... Uh, If you wanted to try and go hang out and get laid and party, you know, the best way to do it is just go to a discotheque. You meet girls, you you can drink if you want. Underage people were drinking. I just had no interest in that. Like I had interest in the girl part a little bit, but I just didn't want to have to go through that. I tried it, I think, once and it was horrible. So I just had nothing to to, you know, and I wasn't really going to school. I was just working, and I was just trying to become like a young adult, I guess. And uh, I saw the special, and and I just remember looking at Steve, who at the time was freaking twelve or something, you know. And I and we we're looking at like like what the hell is this? And it's the Sex Pistols playing live, like uh, anarchy, and just we'd <laughs> never even come close to hearing anything like that. That just seemed like like from outer space. And the kids were, you know, in the, they were pogoing, choking each other, and just <laughs> crazy and safety pins. And I'm like, this is so fucking stupid, but it, it, I don't know why I'm turned on by this. Like, this seems, it, it's almost like it's saying, here's the world that you need to be a part of. And I, and I to this day, and I've taught, you know, I've heard everybody that does a book, mm-hmm. whether it's Bob Mold, everybody has the same yes. response, the same reaction. So, yeah, I, so then I'm like, I have to understand this. Who, who, how do we do this? Like, because keep in mind, we're, we're talking, you know, way pre-internet. Um, Rolling Stone was, Rolling Stone would kind of cover some stuff. Uh, Cream did a little more like Iggy and New York Dolls and stuff, but I just, and I knew about those bands, but, but, but I honestly didn't, kind of appreciate them until after i got into like yeah. this like the ramones and the, and the pistols and stuff but that just set it off and so i just went i remember going to the library the Reno library and just seeing looking up punk rock nothing yeah and there, the, what
0: there aren't books on this when you're right
1: you know like is it is there a, a dick could this be in an encyclopedia somehow you know <laughs> you're looking through the
0: card catalog <laughs> in the piece actually. i was is, right i'm telling what you <laughs> well then in the then, dewey decimal system where is this punk rock didn't exist it didn't exist so then the next best thing
1: was is they had a stack of billboard magazines and i just i would take them all and sit for hours at this just this table and just combing through and i'd be like fog hat fuck fog at zz ta- i don't care about that i know about all that and every once in a while there'd be a blip you know of something and so i just I, I was on a mission to try to understand what it was. Like I didn't, I didn't understand the, the musical thing, the lyrical, the political ramble, I, nothing. I just, oops, sorry. Right. I just knew that it meant it was youthful and there was rage. And there was like the, 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 the crowd, in, you know, in, I, I got groomed to understand and appreciate being in a stadium with several thousand other people you know, a hundred yard, you know, way far away from the band. They didn't know we existed. You couldn't go up and say, "Hey, great set!" No, and yeah. there's none of that. It was just, and I, don't get me wrong, it was exciting, but I was sort of getting sick of it. So seeing, and then I started seeing. I think I saw some uh, footage of the Ramones at CBGB's, and the crowd was like, you know, a foot away from them. I'm like, well, this is cool, you know. So yeah, so I started uh, just. Trying to find out what was going on, and and uh, the 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 thing that I I remember going to there was a record store called Eucalyptus Records, it was a small chain, and they had a the first Ramones album, and I just said I'm buying it, and the and the guy actually said you're really gonna buy this, and I was like yeah <laughs> yeah, I, I, and he's like whatever, and I think it was 7.99, for whatever reason, took it home, put it on. And that, that was it. It was over. Just hearing <laughs> beat on the bread and, you know, Hey daddy, I don't want to go. I, <laughs> I had no idea what he was talking about, but that, that one, two, three, four. And I just, it killed me. Like I, I would just, I was floored. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to know anybody. I was just like, I mean, I think even then I just wanted to go and throw away every record I'd ever collected and just, I just want this one album, you know, (laughs) the good thing was that my little brother, Steve loved it as much as I did. And that, so we had a thing like where we, I mean, we, we were always very close, but all of a sudden we had discovered something together and he, I knew he knew that I was thinking of shit. What can we do with this? Like we, okay, we, so we, we've discovered this band and this band called the sex pistols, which we, we took us another couple months before we could even, uh, I had a, mail order to get a single you couldn't find because sex whistles were banned and they were like way more controversial than ramones sure and and so uh there was a um i don't remember it might have been cream there was a little teeny ad in the back of cream of a guy named charles Ackers. i'll always remember that in new york and if you sent a self-addressed stamped envelope he would send you a, a catalog of, of stuff that he had it was all bootlegs but it was not like Rock and roll. it was like live Sex Pistols at the 100 Club and the Ramones at you know Hurrah's or whatever the hell it was and and so you could and it was like five bucks a tape so you so I just started ordering tapes and I was oh, awesome. getting Sex Pistols and Leads and da 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 and all of a sudden I mean horrible quality the worst quality you can imagine. But, but you could hear everything. You could hear the crowd <laughs> and people spilling shit. And then, you know, Sid fall or not even, you know, even, you know, Sid falling down on the stage, whatever. And it was just, everything was just amazing about that. I don't know why. Like, I think about this to, to this day and I go, why did that appeal to me? Like, what, who was I that that appealed to me? You know, like, and, and so. But
0: it, <laughs> we all, <laughs> all of us have this thing, Yeah, you know, and it's, it's, What's I mean, wrong with mine us? doesn't happen for, for. A few years later, although it's funny that you brought the Sex Pistols in the 70s because I got a, um, a boombox for Christmas one year um, that could uh, actually – the radio was like good enough that it could get stations from Seattle. And oh, it was the first nice. time I had a radio that could get stations that played other music than Bellingham at a very like light pop station right. or whatever. Yeah. And after midnight one night, the DJ was playing strange things from around the world essentially. And he played – uh, EMI from the sex pistols. I believe that's the song, but I remember hearing one being a little kid and what did he say? Yeah. Kind of like, oh, what is this? Is this something I'm not supposed to hear? So I listened harder. And, and years later when, when, when someone was like, Oh, the sex pistols, I was like, Oh no, I have heard them before. Yeah. I heard them when, you know, back in 19, whatever, 80, maybe it was 1980, whenever Mm -hmm. it would have been something they could have had to play on the radio. But, um, it, it, there was a there was a little spark a little this is different this is good, this is for you kind of thing you yeah know? and so I don't know what we were just maybe it's kind of like how you know like when people make great scientific discoveries mm-hmm. there's always other people all around the world who were making the exact same discovery right, at the right. same time but they yeah. don't make the history books because yeah. they were. Uh, late to the patent office yep. or whatever, maybe there are just times when the world says it's time for this. And you are the, <laughs> you, you are the one. receptors. You get it. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think, I think it's true. I think that's what it is. Cause too many people did it. You know, too many people got that. And, and I'm yet, attaching
0: way too much importance to it. it <laughs> but it's, it's very, it's it's important. I mean, look, to me.
1: it's, it, 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 it changed everything in, in me everything it changed everything i i started looking oops i started looking at things so differently i mean i really did feel not li- much later did I, but i really did feel like something or somebody invited me into this thing this kind of exclusive thing and But now I'm turned loose and I have to figure out what I'm going to do within it. Like now it's because I can't just be a follower.
0: Right. This demands participation.
1: You have to engage and participate and and, and you can't just be a little. I mean, of course, we, we, there are plenty of followers, but I didn't want to be, I wanted to, and I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be a a personality, a leader or anything. I just wanted to be right in the forefront of it. I, you know, like, because also, too, I'd already gone through just getting the shit kicked out of me and just like not just being a weirdo and and being somebody that you know didn't get respect or anything. So I was already in like, okay, fine. i'll I'll keep doing that as long as i it's it's surrounded by great fucking music and and, and people getting their aggression out, and you know whatever. I'm cool with that. Um, and it's funny you brought the sex the the this the, the sex post like never mind the bullocks, you know when we first got that. The the I, I, now I think it was some kind of ploy marketing thing, but the the record store that I just mentioned they got a bunch of copies of it, but they wouldn't sell it. They <laughs> they displayed them and then they put a thing saying we can we are not allowed to sell this record, which is brilliant. Oh yeah, now you know it was a marketing thing. It had to be because <laughs> what what's the point of putting the fucking record up? We just we would go in there every day, and I would just please just sell me one copy, like you know, because I'd already at this point I'd already heard some of the songs, live versions, and and I started to hear more about the record, and I heard it was just this brilliantly done record, which it is to, to this day I still think it's an amazing record, but it really is. But when I got it, they finally turned it loose, and then we got it. Um, but we – yeah, so we get the record, and we go into my sister's room because she's got a working uh, turntable. And we shut the door, and we're playing it. And we're, at first we're laughing because it was just cussing. We'd never heard – you know, you didn't – what bands were saying, fuck this, fuck this, fuck it all, you know? Yeah. And then Bodies comes on, <laughs> which t- is still one of the darkest songs ever written, you know, and it's just about abortion. and And, and that's when my mom comes in and says, oh. what are you listening to? And we're like, this is the sex vessels, and she's like, the sex? What the hell is that? And we're like, remember we were watching that show, and there were there was a kid, and she's like, oh my god, what is it? You know, so
0: wait, so she hears that song? That's an upsetting song. Yeah,
1: my like, mom, but you know, my mom is a she's a pretty funny, crazy person, and, and she, you know, she she's she's got a sense of humor. She just she just didn't you know she didn't understand that there's this this is aggressive music. Her three kids are just going listen to this and repeating it. We kept putting it back on and the fucks and, you know, and it just was like an, it just opened everything up. Like it was all of the things that you, you would have probably wanted to do on your own anyway, just was all of a sudden it was like, okay, here's my license to do that. Johnny rotten is like, let me do this, you know, whatever. So yeah, that was it. And, we just, from that, at that point on, it was just all about trying to get more and more and more. And, and it was very hard, like you said, bailing it. Like, Rena was the same way. You couldn't just go anywhere. And, I mean, you'd be lucky. If it was major label stuff, you could find it sometimes. But even getting the first Clash record, it took me forever. I had to get the import version, and I had to order it, and it cost me, you know, 50 bucks or something oh back then. I mean, it was God. insane because you know, <laughs> had to wait for it to get over. But
0: huge that's
1: a lot of money yeah and i i'm probably being i'm i'm over exaggerating but it was sure. like you had to order it from some company out of new york and it would take you know a month to get it and the good the cool thing is is that every once in a while uh there's a recycled records and they would just get seven inches and i got i remember getting x-ray specs and uh chelsea and just earlier you know seven inch stuff um uh eater you know, like young kids that were, they did a version of Alice Cooper's 18, but I'm I'm 15. I don't know what I want, whatever. They were young guys, but all of this British stuff that I just thought was great. And, um, and that was it. I mean, I just, I, at that point I was like, you know, I, I still love all the, my old rock and roll records, but I can't relate. I, I remember going to see the Led Zeppelin movie, the documentary, and that was kind of the death for me. That was like the end of my Led Zeppelin love. Cause it was just overblown rocks and just overindulgent rock star fantasy bullshit that had nothing to do with some kid living in some suburb, you know, like you and, and it, you know, like even if they were great live, you, you couldn't go again, there was no connection at all to they like for all, you know, they, when they looked out, they just saw nothing, you know, just a sea of shit. So I just got t- tired of that. And I got tired of being a part of that process and, so I just I I love the fact that there was at least a hint of connectedness and community and you know you could you could relate to who who you're looking
0: at and who's looking back at you and I just Wait right, so how how long after um after you started getting <coughs> these records did you start finding other people that listened to these records and were part of a scene
1: There there weren't any really uh so we're talking we'll we'll say so we're getting into like 1978 and uh the let's see the ramones came and played oh oh, okay i take it back so rocky horror picture show was playing every friday night down at the theater in reno we would go there occasionally and we would just see these people that would have like safety pins or buttons and we would just go oh cool maybe they're you know but we wouldn't ever get the courage to talk to them right well when we finally did um we, we realized that they too had heard about Ramon, the remote sex plus and that kind of stuff. But we just, there wasn't any real easy way to stay in touch. I was just like, well, here's my phone number. You know, I don't have a phone. Okay. Well, you know, <laughs> so maybe we'll see you next week at Rocky Horror. So it was that, that kind of thing. But yeah, the Ramones came through Eddie money came through and played this, the arena and he had the Ramones opening for him. I don't know oh, amazing. why, I guess he did like <laughs> five shows and I just couldn't believe it. And the ticket was $6. And I just remember going, I can't believe... It. I, st- I I didn't even believe it until we were there that the remote were actually going to play. Right. I just thought this is bullshit. Got a ticket. We went to the thing, stood in line. And the funny thing was, is that I fought to get to the front of the line, like uh, to be one of the first for whatever reasons, just because I was like, I just want to get to the front. I'm just going to be right in front of Joey and I'm just going to fucking sing every lyric. And everybody that was the first... Twenty people were all people that were there for the Ramones, and I was like, nice. "Where are you from?" And and it was like kids from Carson City, Nevada, kids from Lake Tahoe, kids from Susanville, all these places outside Reno, and a couple of Reno kids. And we were like, "How did you find out about the Ramones?" Like, "What's your name?" And and that later on turned out to be the the original foundation of the sacrament or the Reno punk rock music scene. Awesome. And people from different bands that started. So we all ran. We they opened the gate. We ran to the front. We all got our spots um just it seemed like we waited forever everybody was just we're looking at you like this is fucking happening like we saw the we could, i remember seeing the the gabba gabba hay sign the, the roadie was behind moving it. and i'm like they're actually here you know and i recognized Johnny's amp from photos and i'm like they're actually in the they're here so it's gonna happen and uh they came out and it was like fucking oh my i mean seriously it, it just was the, the it was like being punched just a billion times and just loving every punch that you took. It was so incredible. It was just loud, the loudest thing I'd ever heard. This is a really bizarre story. And I, sometimes I'm embarrassed to even talk about it. <laughs> so early on, there was this girl, kind of a cute, like maybe a little stoner girl, I don't even know, standing behind me. And, and she was starting, she's trying to make conversation before the Ramones started. And she's like, Eddie, money. And I was like, I don't give a fuck about anyone. money. I'm here for a Ramones. She's like, are you kidding? Two tickets. To, you know, she wanted to have this position. I'm like, I don't care. I don't, I could give a shit about any money. So then she's being a little flirtatious. And during the Ramones set, they start playing and I'm just like, fuck yes. And I'm looking up at Joey. She starts to get touchy feely with me. Like she's feeling me up. I'm not even kidding. I, I also had snuck an old time Polaroid camera. Cause this was back before yeah. any cool cameras this big ass thing that I'd stuffed down my pants and baggy (laughs) pants just so I can take shots of the Ramones, which I still have. They're horrible. They're just like, um, and I took that out and she starts to, she actually put her hands down my pants and she's like playing around. And and I'm like, (laughs) Now, this says a lot about, because I'm, you know, back then, and I was into girls and I was f- fully becoming of that, you know, getting in, in, into that. But I was so like, I don't give a shit what she can do anything she wants. I'm just, but the only thing I could think of was like, what if Joey can see that? Because I'm right in the front, <laughs> I'm like, I hope Joey can't see that this girl's like, basically jerking me off you know so she's doing this the whole time and then i realized she wants where i'm at when eddie money comes out she, she thinks she has to do all this, this oh
0: time. no that's the
1: only thing i could because i'm like i mean granted this is the late 70s everybody was a little crazier then but i was just like i'm don't interrupt this moment i like you know whatever and it's funny because after that she she gave me her number and i remember i tried to call her like later she, was oh, like, wait, so she did give you she gave me her number and the minute the Ramones were done, I was like, okay, see you later. You can have my spot. I don't give a shit. I took off. But she gave me her number, and I remember trying to call her once, and she said, who are you again? And she had no idea. I was like, you know, the guy that you were having almost sex with in the front of the Ramones? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. But Steve, my brother, got a. Uh, he was he was standing so that when they walked by Dee Dee, he goes, Dee Dee, you know, and Dee Dee. Shook his hand and put a pick, of Ramones pick, in his hand. He still has that in his wallet. Oh wow,
0: there. that's super. He's been carrying it around ever, ever since. All
1: faded, and you can't even tell. But he had it that taped in the inside of his wallet. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. That was huge for Steve because he was a huge Dee Dee Ramone's fan.
0: Cool. Um. Wow. I I feel like we could talk about that story for a while. <laughs> and and um, and it's funny because when we were talking last night, we were talking about when you remember things, and because Jake said this in his episode, Jake from *Minus the Bear*, when you remember things, you remember. Your memory of, of the thing. Yeah. So you're sure that happened? Yeah,
1: it did. It definitely <laughs> did. I mean, I don't know if it was, uh, I don't, here's where I don't know. I don't know that if I was instigating it, like, like, I don't remember, like, you know, part of me was like, I've, and I, I've told everybody this, like, that I know. I'm like, it's just so funny to think about that. Like, like, I must have given her the indication that I was into it. I mean, maybe, you know, but, but like, like, can you imagine that happening now? Like,
0: oh, I don't, I
1: don't know. I mean, I don't know where it would happen, but it's just like, it's just, it, to me, it's just like, it's a little bit like all oh, those freewheeling, freewheeling seventies, you know, sure. everything was a little nutty and, but I have no, idea. it just was a, I mean, things like that would actually happen. I remember, I remember I was working at the store called Gemco, which I think later on became, maybe kind of became target. I don't remember, but, uh, I know that that Gemco became a target later, but. I just had this horrific job and I worked in the toy department, toy slash garden department. So I was, <laughs> and I just hated the job. And the only thing that saved me I was I just had no money ever. I had to take the bus. It was way out south of Reno. I had to go, you know, every day. And the only thing that was, it would save me is listening to Give Him Enough Rope, the Clash album. That was the only thing that would, would get me going. And I'd have those songs like Safe European Home, these songs in my head all during my shift. And I had this boss, Glenn. He was a dick. And he's the only one that I ever, only boss that I ever almost got in a fist fight with. Oh, wow. Just to the point where I'm like, fuck you. You're disrespecting me. You don't have to treat me like shit. You ask me to do stuff. I do it. Everything. Yeah. Don't act like a dick to me. And, uh, I did. I, that's actually what I told him. And he was just like, you know, if you don't like it, I was like, I don't like it. And I'm quitting. Fuck you. (laughs) The day I quit, I, uh, I I didn't want to wait for the bus. And so I was actually going to hitchhike, which is really funny to think about because it just was something I didn't do a lot. But I stick my thumb out, and all of a sudden this Camaro pulls up, two hot girls. Hey, you need a ride? And I was like, Yeah, hell yes, I need a ride. <laughs> On
0: your way back from your
1: yeah, so, job, you just quit. Yeah, I was just like – so I got in. The girl – the passenger gets in. I get in the middle. I'm between these two really hot girls. And the one girl in the passenger says, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I just got fired from my job, or I just quit my job. And she's like, really? Oh, man, what are you, you, know, what are you doing tonight? And I was like, I'm nothing. I'm just – um, and then, so they take me home, but I, but I was embarrassed to have them take me to where I lived cause I live in this shitty apartments up in the sort of what was then sort of the ghetto of Reno. Right. So I had them drop me off at the seven level at the corner just so that they, you know. but <laughs> right when I got out the girl and it's, this is hilarious. I'm not going to say her name because she's actually a Facebook friend. <laughs> um, she, she goes, well, here's my number. Call me sometime if you want to go party or whatever you'd say back then. And I was like and she was beautiful i mean yeah. she's still beautiful she's like 50 years old and she's she, <laughs> but she i was just like oh my god i have a girl's number you know like, but stuff like that would just happen like people were a little more like well whatever happens you know like i just think it was it was before we all got hung up on the all two like crazy stories
0: shit. that you just told me though happened at very important times in your life. Yeah. It it happened at your first seeing of the Ramones where you didn't even believe it could possibly happen and your mind was blown. And then this thing happens. Yeah. yeah, yeah, And then the take this job and shove it moment, which is, uh, can be a very freeing, empowering, change in a person's life yeah. when they go wait a minute you mean i can just give you the finger and walk
1: yeah but see the thing is i'd done it already a lot. oh you had done it. <laughs> okay <All> yeah right. <laughs> i mean i had a string of jobs where i just i would work my ass off until i felt disrespected and at an early and i and i do think that punk rock did sort of say tell me you don't have to take shit Right. Like you can control your situation, or at least I tell myself that. No, that might not have happened. Like, like the, you know, that might just be just me. My, and I mean the thing of you know in my head thinking. Punk rock taught me this. Oh you know? right, and right. It was really in there anyway. You're probably. thinking about it now,
0: looking back, <laughs> and that's fine. That's okay. <laughs> so how does that then become seven seconds? Um So Steve and I uh,
1: had tried uh, to start a band. We did. We started a little punk band with a guy that I worked with at Montgomery Ward. Um, He was really into – he just loved Paul McCartney. He was a Beatles guy. But we played him some stuff and he's like, oh, that's, this is easy to play. I can do this, you know, because it's just. Right. So we're like, all right, good. Well, let's do it. So we, we tried to put together a band. We kept arguing who was going to do what. Because
0: it was just anybody you could get at that anybody, point. Anybody.
1: Anybody. Yeah. Literally. Like I would have taken anybody that we just would remotely. <laughs> um, and he was, he really wanted to play in a band. He just, he just didn't give a shit what kind of band it was, you know. So he, I was writing, these, I mean, just awful lyrics that were like to me, they were shocking. Like there was a yeah. song called queen of the third Reich. And, <laughs> and it was just like about, it was like talking about how Eva, Eva Braun was like, it was just terrible shit. Like just, and, and it wasn't like I was trying to like, Hey, I'm a Nazi. I was just trying to be shocking and sure. stupid. Um, and none of it, it didn't really matter. Cause there was no place to play. Like there wasn't, even if we rehearsed and got good, there was really no place we could play in Reno. And the best we could do is play parties. Maybe, um so we just kept kind of messing around we tried out a couple of different drummers that wasn't working um uh, but we came up with a brilliant name and that name was the misfits and we thought oh. and that was actually it was from a kinks album called misfits and sure. we, we thought that's brilliant we're, we're misfits and then uh probably about three or four months later i i remember hearing the i forget which which misfits seven inch but I was devastated. I was like, oh my God, there's already a Misfits from New Jersey. We can't use that. So then we we changed the name. We had a bunch of different names. We we tried to do a kind of a glammy, like sort of a New York Dollsy, Richard, I mean, uh, Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers kind of, you know, just snarly rock and roll punk. Because I could play that stuff pretty well. Like I was yeah. a guitar player. And, I, and at the time, I just wanted to play guitar. I didn't even want to be a singer, even though I was the only one that could sing. So, yeah, we did a bunch of stuff, changed the name, made fake posters, made fake... Yeah, I mean, we did the whole thing. Like, I I would send out a mimeograph... Not even, like, there was no... Not even Kinko's then. I would go to, like, right. a some store in the mimeograph machine and have, like, a, a fake seven-inch cover. And I would... Send, I remember sending it to Kim Fowley. He passed away recently. He was the manager of the Runaways. Oh, wow. He was a big producer and, you know, like... But he did a lot of... Um, He was, like, a song... Anyway, he he was sort of, like... Hollywood, punk, you know, and he actually wrote a very nice letter back and said, hey, thanks for sending it. I can't do anything. But da-da. anyway, it was just silly <laughs> shit like that. But uh, yeah, we just kept trying trying to do shit. And then finally, uh, my brother and I met, I met another guy I worked with at Kmart. One of my, and he was a drummer. Why? You
0: really... You went retail to retail. I did.
1: I worked. <laughs> no. And it, well, that's after I'd already worked at all the fast food places, all the casino restaurants that I could be a busboy or whatever. Oh, wow. I'd done it all. I mean, seriously, at some point I made a list and I, I don't even, it was embarrassing how many jobs I had before the age of 21. Wow. Um, But anyway, so yeah, we we found this guy. Uh, I worked with a guy at, at Kmart named Bob Seeds and he was kind of a stoner dude, but he was familiar with the Ramones and the Pistols and he could play that. He could play that style. So we got them and we started, we changed the name to X-Band, like B-A-N-N-E-D, because we thought it looked, you know, like confrontational and scary. Um, And again, we had no goal. We didn't know what we could do once we became a band, but we got pretty good. I I still have some of those demo tapes and they were actually really good. And how old are you? uh, At this point, I was probably 17. Okay. And uh, so everything was kind of going along. And then Bob went and joined the Navy and tried to get me to join the Navy. And this would have been sort of in the some, the fall of 79.
0: How close did you come?
1: Not at all. Not I, at I all. had you... no interest in it. No, like because, you know, I just, like I just didn't, I would, I, you know. So I just wanted to be in a band. I didn't give a fuck about anybody else or anything else, you know. Like screw the country. Who cares about defending anybody? <laughs> fuck our freedom, you know, whatever. <laughs> oh, <Jesus. laughs> I mean really that's, it, you know, I just was like so not really uh, – up on you know like you know it, it it wasn't until i was probably 20 my early 20s where i really started to pay it more attention to the news and and i mean i had actually registered to vote when i was like when i turned 18 but i just did it because that's i heard you're supposed to do that and that's a good yeah. thing to do but yeah so we he went on to the navy um we, we were still called x-band my brother and I were just like, we're never gonna find another drummer that can play this stuff. And I wanted to play faster because I had heard the Dills uh, and it, from from California, and they just had this like, nah, 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 just really fast, gnarly, you know. And it was just a little more American sounding. It wasn't like they they didn't have any accents. It was just it sounded like me when I sang, you know. And I just thought this is cool shit, you know. So I wanted us to play faster, but I didn't know I didn't know how to make that happen. And one day I'm in Eucalyptus Records. My, my brother and I were looking through the little import section, which was where they put all this stuff. And we see this long haired dude, green parka, tons of buttons all over. And he's just looking at records and he's got tons. He's got a bunch under his arms and he's just going all by that. And so I just couldn't believe it. This I was like, man, this dude is, he's gotta be a punk rock guy. I mean, he didn't look at, he had a beard and long hair, but he had all these, I, and I could see. Uh, he had a, an X button and he had like a, you know, X-ray specs. I, you know, so I knew he was a punk guy. So I went up, I just said, Hey man, where are you from? And he's like, I'm from here. And I was like, oh, I'm Kevin. And he's like, I'm Tom. And it's my brother, Steve. And I was like, what do you, you know, you just move here or something? He's like, no, 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 My family lives here. And we just start talking. We spent two hours there talking and we were telling him how we were punk rock fans. And he was saying, oh yeah, me too. And he said, well, want you c you guys want to come over to my house I've got a bunch of records and we we're like fuck yes you know so we I don't even know how we got there we must have because I didn't have a car we went to his house spent the entire night he had just like that whole wall and then he'd already in that time frame had I mean he had a ton of records but he was also into the earlier shit like you know um well obviously Iggy but like uh you know MC5 and that kind of stuff so I had heard of that stuff, but I wasn't that familiar with it. So we just spent all night listening and he would let me just tape shit. I I'd come over with cassettes and he said, just play what you want tape. So I was taping everything. He ended up, well, he told, so we, we told him we were in a band and we said, we're looking for a drummer. And he's like, Hey, I can play drums. And we're like, really? He's like, yeah. Turned <laughs> out, luck. Turned out he didn't even have a drum. He didn't have a drum kit, <clears throat> had never played drums. Um, but just wanted to. So he went right out and got a drum kit and we, we, we set up at his mom's garage. Tom was his name, Tom Borghino. And, uh, we just started kind of banging out some of my originals and we did like problems by the sex pistols and da da da. And this is the end of the 79. And, uh, he said, you know, well, if you guys want me, you know, I can be in your band and you know, I'll play your banners. Like, all right. We just said yes, because we were like, we're not going to get anybody anybody better than that. <laughs> But he really got good quick. Like, he just started learning how to do the kick drum, the snare, and he, and he and it, I mean, our early shows are really... Anyway, so we decide he's, Tom's going to be the band. He has his little brother, Jimmy, uh, wanted to be at a band, and I didn't want to sing. I wanted to just play guitar. I wanted to write the songs and be the guitar player. That was my thing. So G- he said, well, let's try Jimmy out. So we tried Jimmy. Jimmy. Jimmy was just a big kid. Had a huge voice, kind of sang a tune, and um, at that point we were sort of still X band, and then I just said I'm gonna change the name, and I was so into the Dills for whatever that band, the Dills. I mean, it's funny. I don't know why I was so obsessed with them, but they they only had like two seven inches out, and they just and they they were also in the Cheech and Chung movie um, Up in Smoke. Yeah, just a scene. That I've watched over and over again because it was so influential. <laughs> They're playing a sound check in the movie and they stop and I'm just like, it was so great. Everything was just sound, just sounded so, so good. But um, yeah, so we uh, tried Jimmy out. Jimmy sounded great. He was learning my lyrics. And then um, I said, well, the Dills had a, a seven inch called 198 seconds of the Dills. And I was so obsessed with all the bands that my brother and I shared a bedroom. We had this huge weird desk that we'd made and we would just, graffiti it with all, you know, Generation X, 100 punks rule, whatever. And I had written nice. 198 seconds of the Dills, but I, when I wrote it, I wrote 197 seconds of the Dills. And I don't know why I did. And it just sat there in the marking pen, and I would just look at it. And then for some reason, just the seven seconds part just called my name. And I was like, what did it, why don't we call the band Seven Seconds? And, and no one really liked it. They were like, why? It's not – it doesn't sound punk. And I was just like – I don't know. It sounds, it's kind of like mysterious. Like, what does it mean? You know, seven and it sounds intense, you know, seven seconds. It could be anything. And, and later on it's funny because even people like Ian McKay and they've said, we we all sit there and go, what does seven seconds mean? And I was like, that's exactly right. That's, that's exactly that's what you tried of, to do. I mean, it wasn't even like a, I wasn't even trying to be, you know, cutesy or, you know, smart or anything. I just thought it sounded cool. So I kept insisting. I was like, we got to call it seven seconds. So finally it was cool. And then Jimmy, just as a joke, started calling me Kevin Seconds, started referring to me as
0: Kevin Seconds. Well, that just—I mean—because we needed you needed oh, it, your punk it, name. It's the of course moment of all time, right? <laughs> of, of course, the singer Kevin is—or well, you weren't even singing at the time, right? You were just playing no, guitar.
1: No, I was just—I wanted to be at that point. Well, you're I think I Kevin in the
0: band, so you're Kevin Seconds.
1: <laughs> Well, according to Jimmy, I was, you know, (laughs) so he was the first one to start coming. And I just said, yeah, I like it. I want a punk name. And, you know, so and Steve was Steve Youth because he was always the the kid. He was the baby of of every little social sister. He was the kid. So he became Steve Youth. But yeah, that was the start of seven seconds. That would have been at the December of 79 when I think I came up with the name. And we just rehearsed like crazy, and it just there were moments where it just didn't sound like we were doing anything different. Like it just sounded, you know. I was also trying to weed out all of this corny, shocking lyrics of Queen, Queen of the Third yeah. Reich, and all stuff. And I was starting, I was getting, I was starting to become a little more politicized. And I think it was because it was just as, and I don't know the time frame, but like you know, I think Reagan was just starting to be looked at as being like, you know, the 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 front runner the of front, the you yeah. know and, and the Iran all, everything was going on crazy so I was st- okay so
0: that was I mean I even remember the politics from that time and right. I remember being told to be afraid of Ronald Reagan right. because that meant there would be a nuclear war if Reagan got right. elected Yeah, and I remember I for some reason my bus driver my school bus driver asked me something about it and i said that i was afraid of ronald reagan she said why because he's gonna start a nuclear war <laughs> and i'm in the fourth grade wow right? so and, yeah that's... and and she said uh that's that's absolutely stupid that's not gonna happen like it's not you don't need to be afraid of right. stuff like that and i was just terrified <laughs> yeah, of stuff like that you know and we course. were a very religious family like my so we and when i when we got into like junior high my my parents started taking us to like Pentecostal Holy Roller churches oh, and they were kind of like religious. hell yes he is because well they no, none of them said hell yes Ronald right. <laughs> Reagan's gonna start a nuclear war but it was like it's end times. So this stuff is supposed to be happening yep. this means it's end time so I was terrified yeah just absolutely like that's some dark well, stuff for a kid man oh so I mean I, borderline abusive mm-hmm. if not even borderline I felt like it was really bad I've yeah. been looking back on, it, I'm like oh man but you know that's that's probably partly what led me into the things that I cared about later. Yeah. So what do you, you just gotta take the good to with uh, the bad?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean that whole era that era was terrifying. Like because you were sort of already conditioned to believe that the Russians were just out to blow us off the face of the earth. You know. Yep. And,
0: and then there's these hostages mm-hmm. and the Munich thing had happened. That was that was early, earlier. That was yeah. 72? Oh, was that 82? far back? I okay. Think so. I mean, I think I known that, but I mean, there was definitely you. All of it seemed to like play into this thing throughout the 70s and coming up to the 80s with Reagan. Right. And it, Ron Gardipi, uh, uh mentions this story all the time. He's, he's, he just dropped it on Facebook the other day about we were bowling and talking about Reagan and I commented and this isn't the, I'm not the person who first said this but I always bring it up with people that Reagan the best thing Reagan did was created a whole bunch of great punk rock songs. Oh, absolutely. And, like inspired yeah. a bunch yeah. of great punk rock songs, yeah. you know, and so you're you're getting politicized with the whole country arguing politics between Reagan and Carter coming up to the 1980 election. Right. And yeah. that is where the politics in seven seconds comes from? Yes, for wow. sure. Because because
1: it was just, uh, I don't know, everything was all of a sudden it was open. And I and I felt that I didn't want to just write, you know, she met me at a corner, you know, just this dumb rock and roll cliché bullshit. Like I knew I wanted to do more than that. I knew I was a thinking guy. Like I, I had thought about it, but I just would get taken out of it because I didn't know anybody else that did was thinking about this shit. and None of my friends wanted to have conversations about anything. So I just dumbed, I mean, I wasn't necessarily a smart kid. I just would dumb down my thinking so that I could just be a part of something because my whole young life I just didn't relate to anybody. And uh, punk rock just sort of galvanized everything. I mean, it just sort of like, sort of said, here's here's probably what you want to do, you know, kind of pay attention to your surroundings and know what's kind of going on in the world, you know, and and that just made sense to me, you know. And, you know, having the Sex Pistols talk about the Queen and you know, I mean the anarchy and just things like that. You're like, what? What does that all mean? You're like, right. what does that mean? How does that relate to me? I, I, I feel like I'm relating to it, but what does it mean? Uh, the other thing about the Dills that I love, well, and the Clash were really so political, so political yeah. too. That I just I related to the, to the 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 just the intensity and just the sort of like proclaiming shit. Like this is the, you know, and they even write down to the imagery of, they'd have the flags for their backdrop and everything mm. about it was just like, and they had the crazy hand, you know, all the the messages they'd put in there. I love that. We did that for a while, but yeah, they, um, the Dills just came out and said that they, they said that they were communist. And I was like, can you be communist and like in a punk and can you be a communist in a punk band? Like aren't common, aren't they the ones that are trying to kill us? You know? So I actually started to, I remember got copies of the revolutionary worker, you know, newspaper <laughs> you and got to read up on it. And I uh, freaked every friend out. Like I was just like, you can't do that. That's like that you don't do that. And I was like, well, oh, I'm just trying to understand. That. I mean, i you know, and, um, but I'm glad I did it. You know, I'm glad that I, that I just, there was something in me that just wanted to know what was going on the other side too, you know, like the so-called enemy. I mean, later on, I realized, well, I actually really lean more towards that than anything, but you know, and and even in, I've read interviews with the guys from the deals and they're like, you know, we were just naive kids. We didn't know what the fuck we were doing, but, but it really did at least open my mind up to, to, to try and observe everything, you know, and we, Lord knows we had enough, you know, I mean the movies, everything that was coming out was just bombastic, like, you know, Miracle lover, leave it, you know, yeah. and 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 everybody just wanted Reagan in. Everybody just wanted him to come in and just save everything. And you know, we every it was it was just a terrible time. I mean, the only thing that I think that was truly good was the music that was coming from the underground music scene, and thank goodness for that. So, but yeah, we 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 went into 1980, played our first gig uh, March second, 1980, at a club, just a little redneck bar called the Townhouse, and I don't there's a dispute as to how the show came about, but I think my little brother had talked to the owner somehow and asked him if we could play there and he said, "Yeah, I'll give you a night or something and there's other people in re- there are other people in Re that claim that they were the ones that got us our first gig and to be <laughs> honest I, honestly i don't remember i don't remember right. how it all came down, but at that point, Jimmy, our singer, had become dim. Menace was right. his name. That was his punk name. Tom Tom, our drummer became Tom Munist <laughs> So corny. And oh then, man, uh, and he's the drummer. That's great. And we all had to have our 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 names, you know, stuff. Yeah. But we, um, I have a cassette of that show, and it was just, it was. I remember hardly anything about the playing. I just remember like listening to it. I can I can hear, you can hear people in the background going, "You suck. Get the fuck off stage." And it was just terrible, but. The, one of the cool things that ever, that happened at that show was the majority of the people who – I mean the only people that liked us were – there were four girls that were there that were right up front, and they were our friends from Rocky Horror Picture Show. And Bessie, Rex was one of them, and Joan, jo, Joan Jetson, there are their point names. They – later on, we became best of friends. I'm still – in fact, I'm going to see Bessie when I go down to uh, – through Eugene. I'm going to stop in. And there's some work, there's some some stuff, uh, an attempt to try to document the early Reno scene, maybe in a film, definitely in a book. And they're going through, they're (laughs) going through photos and I'm going to just pop in and see if I can, you know, check it out. But anyway, they were so into us and so into the whole idea that there was this thing happening. They were like our little fan club and they would, they would take us, they would give us rides to places. I mean, they were so great. And, uh. And I, and more importantly, I really do believe that because our early gigs were just, there were a lot of girls, like they would bring their friends that it, it set up this thing in us to think that it was really cool to play in, in front of a crowd where there were women in the front and hanging out so much so that when we would play other cities, there'd be no girls. And we'd just be like, "Where are the girls. Like, why aren't there any girls? Cause we were used to Reno you know, had a yeah. lot of girls that would go to shows. My sister was really <laughs> into it. So that was a big, big thing for us, you know, just had just involvement of women in the show Right, and that shows. comes
0: through in your lyrics throughout the years to yeah. see you afterwards. Yeah. It was well,
1: hugely influential.
0: Excellent. So you start playing <laughs> and it's just it's when did when did it so you've got a different singer at this point. When do you become the singer?
1: Well, Jim Dim was a great front man. He was a big dude. He's the guy that's on the front of skinsmary's guts. Yep. And he was a, an imposing figure and he was he was a fighter. He loved to fight. <laughs> loved to drink and uh i mean he had a huge heart he was a really sweet guy he's dead now he passed on recently but uh, a while back but he was just uh he brought a lot of heat to the band i mean he he was a magnet for trouble and 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 i actually learned sort of how to fight uh physically because there was just so much grief there was so much going on with jocks rednecks in reno it would come to our early shows or we'd go play we'd get invited to go play some party and then it would just be like a handful of friends and all of a sudden it would just get taken over by and 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 at some point it was either like well i could go run or i could back my friends up and so i sort of sort of learned how to just get in there and not be afraid and and hey i just wow i just punched that guy and he fell you know but it was never anything i was and this
0: is like this is like 80,
1: 81? Yeah. But in between 80 and 82. Okay. When we were just still trying to build something. We didn't know what we were building in you know, like a little scene. Oh,
0: two years. That's a long time.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, and and don't get me wrong. I, there was like three times where I actually ended up being physical and it, I never felt good about it. You know, right. it's just never something I was proud of. And I, I never, you know, said, hey, I fuck, I got kicked that dude's ass. You know, because <laughs> I got hit a lot too. But just, I think it was just. You know, I I don't I I, I do love the idea of there is safety in numbers and I do love the idea of like you going to this place that's potentially dangerous and let's just watch each other. Let's just stick together. We don't let's not look for trouble. But like if it goes down like you're some
0: kind of crew.
1: Right. Well, you know, I mean, you know, but it's a slippery slope because, you know, it's like uh, I have friends that have been in gangs, you know, and and. They've, they've gotten through it and stuff. And as much as I don't, uh, I don't relate to being like a follower in a gang, I understand the sort of. The brotherhood and the unity and the uh, the community and and like sometimes it's just it's really just us against the world. We
0: got us together and I totally get it. I it oh yeah, well that. and you talk about jocks and rednecks. I mean it was definitely like we don't like the way you look. We don't like your music. Nothing. We're gonna fight. Mm-hmm. In fact, if we see one of you, five of us are going to. That's it. And you know that was I was too young in eighty one, eighty two for that. But when I was skateboarding, eighty five, eighty six, eighty seven, like those years, like. Yeah. Up until Lollapalooza becomes a thing, right? And everybody, every jock is now like, like yeah. apologizing, <laughs> apologizing to the weird kids that I didn't understand a couple of years ago mm-hmm. because now they love their music. And Primus is a perfect example. Yeah, like Green Day and yeah. all through. And Jane's Addiction was a, b- a big part of it. That's too, a I think. You, that's a good point. Actually, you're right. So, um, but like through those years, I mean, we'd be out skateboarding, Carlo, the guys, would just stop and we're going. We want to fight. Yeah, and I skateboarders mean, got it the worst because they so were out. you never. Were you never a skateboarder?
1: I wanted... I tried so bad. I mean, I had... I always had a skateboard. I still have a skateboard. I always had it. In fact, the my first skateboard, I still have it. It's an old Dwayne Peters Santa Cruz board. Nice. Like, just wide ass uh-huh. thing. It still has all the original wheels. It's got a... <laughs> Mondale Ferraro, Ferraro sticker. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's got an America's Hardcore sticker. It's got an Early Seven Seconds Committed for Life sticker, and then it's got a Mondale Ferraro sticker. Incredible. Um, but yeah, I I tried so bad because my best friends were the best skaters and, and guys that ended up becoming pros and just great guys. I wanted to be good at it. I just didn't have it. I didn't have the. I, I just don't think I had the love for it, it to to just really get better at it. And uh, I never did any tricks or anything, you know. To this day, every once in a while, th- this, I have a seven seconds deck that somebody, a company made, a limited run, and I just, they they really helped me out. They put wheels and everything. Mm-hmm. And I, every once in a while, get on it and go to up the street, but it's just sad, you know. But <laughs> it's g- not sad. because it, it's cool. Well, but, but it's so much part of the culture that I'm a part of. And I always felt like almost obligated to learn how to do, get good at it, you know, because early on, also, we had so much support from the skateboarder community. And so I felt like, You know, I should be better at this, but.
0: Be right. Those guys were kind of like ranging out. They were the ones that were out in groups of twos. They were the ones that got it because they were they were like the they were out all
1: over the place. And I don't know how many times there'd be a gig, and one of our little friends, and it was always the littlest guys. They would show up with a skateboard and his eyes black. And what happened, man? He's like, oh, dude, I was trying to get down here, and these guys jumped me, and it was a big, big thing, you know, and. Uh, Reno early on, we sort of understood that we we needed to, um, well, so there 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 was a, uh, we were always big on graffiti early on. We were spray painting stuff and we'd always do seven seconds everywhere. And it was pretty early on before graffiti was really, and like we knew about the New York trains and all that stuff, but that was, you didn't really think about it. So probably the most prominent graffiti in Reno for a number of years was just seven seconds everywhere. Not just us, but our friends and stuff. And uh, we would just, on friday nights we just a group of us would go out and just tag and go crazy and it was terrible shit it wasn't like it was like art but um it ended up red, sort of, and it was red and black yeah yeah that's the we, lyrics that's right? is. i always had a can of red and black. that was my thing so corny but anyway <laughs> uh we will attack in red and black i love it though i mean we sing that song still and i love singing it i sing it with just like that's right motherfuckers that was us <laughs> but yeah the, um there was a, a group of like Hesher, like rock and roll stoner dudes that saw the graffiti and thought it was a punk gang. They just somehow at a, they were at a party, and there were some people I knew that went to the party. And these dudes said, "We gotta form our own gang because this fucking punk gang's taken over." <laughs> and this you gotta keep in mind. This is sort of like. You know, after Warriors, and you know that kind of that romanticized <laughs> idea of like you know gangs. Sure. So they they started a gang called Children of Defiance. It was a rock and metal gang. And they would went and crossed our shit out and did this. And this is even before like colors where you oh, even knew yeah. to cross it. They just wanted to cover our stuff up with their thing. <laughs> and uh, Steve, my brother went to a party. It was like a punk where everybody's playing records and some dude showed up. And I guess they got wind that Steve was in seven seconds. And they said, you're, you're oh, so you're in seven seconds thinking that it was just a gang. And right. he was like, yeah, I'm in seven seconds. Like, you, think of that, you know, and they got, they got into it and uh, like it caused, craziness
0: because my brother got into it and i guess kicked the shit out of this guy and then he took off and And uh, so i i want to set this scene so dude walks in and says are you in seven seconds your brother, being the bass player for the band, Seven Seconds, right. says, yes, I'm in Seven Seconds. Or somebody seconds. had said, you know, uh, yeah, that's Steve from Seven Seconds or something. Yeah, but I just love yeah, this yeah. this miscommunication causing a fight <laughs> where he has to beat someone up and leave, leaving the impression right. that the gang, Seven Seconds, not, is now has... <laughs> that's right, that's right. And Now gets... has beef with the Children of Defiance.
1: Yeah, yeah. So now the two warring gangs are... Uh, oh, this is... It, awesome. it got it gets better, so it went on for a whole summer. Like there was this thing where it's just, and we knew that we'd heard that this was gang. So we made we made I made comics of a, of like the Seven Seconds gang. I mean, I was purely I loved. I thought it was the funniest thing ever. But this the the bummer thing was is that they were singling out. They'd see a kid, and and back then we were the only we were the the, the hometown hero guys. So yeah. every every kid would write Seven Seconds on their jeans or whatever. Skaters, we would get this shit kicking. We were at a Seven Eleven. We we just got we had just played a show in Berkeley with DRI, and we got home that night late. We stopped at the Seven Eleven. We we always stopped at the Seven Eleven and got bean and cheese burritos and, and cokes. That was mm-hmm. like our okay. We'll see you next week at practice. Mm-hmm. We stopped at the Seven Eleven. It's three o'clock in the morning, and this car of dudes pull up and. The, the this is after my brother got into it with this this kid at the party and word was out that they were looking for my brother, so and I don't remember if they knew my brother's name, but they get out of the car. We had just dropped Steve off, and we they get out of the car and they're like, "Hey man, are you know anybody from Seven Seconds?" Like literally, the band was there except for the bass player. Who now <laughs> we're looking for the uh, one of the guys? Maybe okay, no. Like, at that point, they knew we were a band. That's what it was. We're looking for the bass player, and right. and we're like. I don't know. We don't know what to say to you guys. Like you know, and uh, and uh, a week later, they found out where my mom lived, which was up the up the street in this uh, the just terrible apartment complex on Patton Drive. They found out that uh, my mom lived there and that I stayed there and that Steve lived there. And uh, they they a guy knocked on the door. I was I actually was there. I, I, my mom made us dinner, and I was I was there, and I opened the door, and I, he was like. And the guy was being real suspicious, like looking in and he goes, Hey, is Steve here? And I just instinctively was like, no, no, he's not. And then I saw another guy kind of in the, like, there was like three other dudes like site. And I, and, and then I was just like, shut the door. And my mom, we had a bat and I just picked, no, 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 I'm sorry. There was a bass. My brother's bass was sitting there. (laughs) I picked up the bass. They smashed the window, but they never came in. Oh. And, um. They were pounding. They broke the window door. of the apartment. Yeah, they just threw like a rock or something to the or Just maybe they they used their fist or something. Wow. And uh, and then I my mom didn't even have a phone. And I said, <sighs> "No, what did I say?" I said, "Hey, man, the cops are on their way." Da, 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 and then they finally left or whatever. So so
0: you're you're holding the base like you're gonna swing it.
1: Yeah, I just had the base and I was just well, I was just waiting for them to come to the door. I didn't sure. know what else to fucking do, do. And my mom was just standing behind me going like. Let's get them, you know, if they come to, we got to, you know, but yeah, that was crazy. And, that, and that's, that, that is when I lost my mind. Cause I was like, they're coming to my mom, my, my yeah. little mother's house and fucking with us. So, uh, we, there was one guy that we knew in the punk scene that was friends with it. There was a band from their scene. And we just said, you know, you tell them like it, we, Oh, we found out where they, where they <laughs> live. And I said, so here's your address and we know where you live. And we will come back and fuck you. You know, you we were just trying to play it, and and that sort of stopped the minute. Wait, we, no,
0: mutually assured destruction. Yeah. yeah. Oh my the god. The minute that that they, they knew that we knew, you took a tip from Reagan.
1: <laughs> yeah. And you. <laughs> yeah. Hey man, something had to come good out of out of this Reagan thing, right? <laughs> yeah. That was the that was the end of it though. They they finally realized. That's when they were scared. They were like, okay, these guys have some kind of like intel that you know somehow. they... <laughs> they're but finding it, us now. Yeah, it was dumb. It all went through like, like a summer. It, w- it wasn't even like, it was maybe three months or something. You know? All right, so
0: does this story then end with all of those guys becoming your bros? Yes, of course. Of yeah, course yeah, it yeah. does.
1: And, and they, they, they there was a, a moment, there was like one or two sort of metal bands that tried to go punk. And and uh, yeah, actually, I think some of them became really good friends, you know, but yeah. And But that's kind of that, it's that kind of thing where we had such a small like, scene that wasn't ever you know we never were like you know the, like everybody else had such great glorious scenes we had such a small scene that it didn't wasn't really well documented so
0: that kind of well, stuff and you is, needed those guys if you have a small scene like you you don't have the jocks you don't there's one jock that thinks what you do is cool and can mm-hmm. barely admit it to his friends usually everybody has that right. uh, um then there's these rednecks who are just not they're just not you, you, whatever they're just the natural jocks <laughs> right and the metal dudes they're the dudes that are out smoking yeah. in high school. They're at the smoke hole. They're at that, and most of them relate to you enough through the 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 way their music is an, an outcast music form. Yeah, they're outcast. That they're supposed to be your friends, but there's mm-hmm. always a few of those guys that mm-hmm. just hate those punk rocker skateboarders, and they hate that. And this this they come just up didn't like podcast the podcast before, right? And and those are the the metal equivalents of the football players mm-hmm. that want to have Mohawks because they think it's cool. Yeah. And they, they don't like the way their friends act. They'd rather come hang out with you, but they're, but they're jocks because That's they were true. born that way. Yeah. And so the, it's That's both, true. Uh, both of those groups cause trouble for their sides, you know? <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Except who cares about what happened to mm. the football player side? Like, yeah, I like those dudes when they come hang out with us, they were cool. Yeah. And, they you know,
1: ended up being pretty great. And they, they ended up being some of the most like passionate, really, really, really into it and stuff. It's just, it just took that kind of nonsense, you know, I don't know. I just, I, I think that whole story was funny To It was all based on a, on a
0: misunderstanding. Oh, you yeah. know? <laughs> wow. That is, that's fantastic. So, okay. So Dim, wait, wait I think, at which point does Dim stop singing?
1: Okay. So early on, Dim stopped singing because he just couldn't, he would, he would get drunk and then he would forget the words. And so I ended up doing most of the singing and playing guitar at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I I could. And I, I I was on this big, I, I was, I remember remember thinking I just wanted to be like Greg Ginn. I wanted to be like, nah, just a crazy guitar player or, you know, Joey, well, Joey should have sang, but anyway. So yeah, Dim just wasn't doing very well. And, uh, we sort of, it was really hard for us because his brother was our drummer. And we talked to Tom, and we were like, "I don't know, Dim." And he's like, "Well, let's just kick him out." I was like, "Okay, kick your brother out of the band, no yeah. problem." So he, we we sort of kicked him out, and Dim was okay with it. He, he, you know, he was sort of it was just fun for him. And then we just went through a lot of stuff that that first year. You know, we were, there was no real legit places to play. Uh, some local kind of hippie guy, like some college. There were students, college students, but they were kind of more hippie, and they played hacky sack and that kind of stuff. They had a great house in, in, uh, right in central Reno with a basement and they somehow, and somebody knew them and just said, we can come over and start playing. So we, the first few shows were after that first bar show that we did was, uh, was, was in this basement and just, we just called the basement. And then they moved a few months later, they moved into another house just up the block from where my mom lived in the sort of ghetto part of Reno. And, uh, they had a big house, two story house, and then there's this little back, like, a Converted garage that looked like it was somebody had lived in it at some point, and uh, they said, "Hey, you guys, if you want, trick this room out, and we'll you can just play here whenever you want and practice here." So, we, we put a bunch of foam soundproofing bullshit, egg cartons, all that stuff. We built a, a little flimsy stage,
0: and it half worked, right? the, the, yeah, the of course. <laughs> and
1: you went through some of the little, you know, between the things. I mean, it was terrible. We put carpet across it, and then we graffitied the fuck out of it, and then we called it the Rad House and um that became for the first year that was the spot the only spot it was great it was we, it was just in a predominantly black neighborhood and the, the neighbors just didn't give a fuck and i mean they they they'd see these crazy punk rockers and they were just like look at that shit, you know <laughs> and they'd come over sometimes and they would they'd, you know if sometimes they'd have a keger and they'd just be like hey this is awesome and they'd pick up on some of the girls, you know, like it was just to them. it was just like, this is great. They're freaks, you know? (laughs) So they never mess with us. They were totally cool about it. And, um, we, that summer. So you
0: were uh, practicing there and having shows?
1: Yeah. We were just playing constantly. And, uh, that fall we had, we, we wrote a letter to DOA and said, Hey, come play Reno. And they were like, how much can you pay us? And we're like 150 bucks (laughs) or something. I don't know. They came down. They brought that band, the Subhumans, the Canadian Subhumans, who are amazing. Uh, they DOA loved it. They loved the scene. They they would just come to. They loved. They can go gamble. They loved all the whole thing. You could drink for hardly anything. So the whole thing was just great. So they would come down. You know, they were down. They told so was that
0: that was the beginning of reaching out and connecting to yes, other scenes.
1: That was where the idea of networking with other scenes. How did you know where to write DOA? Um, that would have been. I think I actually we had seen we'd gone to a Dead Kennedy show in San Francisco and we met Jello and Jello was a big you know he knew everybody and i think uh, we just asked him how do you get a hold of DOA they had a manager this guy Ken Lester and we called Ken and said can you what they plan this okay. like next time we come down we'll come and play Reno so that put us on the map because DOA were so pioneering and touring like they were one of the early bands and they, they were buddies with Black Flag. So we said, please tell Black Flag because we'd love to have Black Flag. Black Flag said, we'd love to come up and play. So they came up. Uh, Dead Kennedys came up. So we were able to get to... Once we got those bands up, then that legitimized the little town up in northern Nevada. Like we were, we were starting to get a name too because DOA and all of those bands were really kind to us. They saw us and they liked us. And they were like why don't you guys come down and play the Mabuhay Gardens with us in San Francisco? And we're like, are you kidding me? That's like the CBGs of, you know, San Francisco. So we were so fortunate because we just made an impact immediately. I think it was because we were from Reno and Reno was just like, oh, they're just hicks. You know, they're just like these hicks from nowhere. Yeah. So I think that really appealed to a lot of people. I remember early on people in San Francisco (laughs) referred to Reno as being like Midwest, Midwest. You know, like they thought we were Midwest, you know, and we thought, we're West Coast, you know? Like, but um, <laughs> yeah, no, we're right here with you. <laughs> yeah, we're only just a, just a, you know a few miles. Away. But uh yeah, that was the start of it. And then once that all started happening, we you know it was just we we played once a month at Mabué. Started playing in Berkeley, Oakland, Santa Cruz, and we just started playing. We just started gradually doing weekend stuff.
0: Okay, so what year is this right now?
1: And that would have been late eighty, early
0: eighty one, I guess. Oh, okay. okay and at this
1: that. point. Are you um, writing the lyrics? Yeah, I wrote you, all the lyrics, and you
0: wrote the lyrics even when Dim sang them.
1: Yeah, okay, yeah, I, I, I was. It was a big. It was important for me. I don't know why. I just wanted to write the songs and sort of create. So Dim
0: was like, "Why do I get the Nazi
1: stuff and you get the pro woman stuff?" <laughs> no, because we, you know, back then,
0: uh, I mean, we joking we, about the Nazi stuff. Yeah. I realize it's not. And real we didn't Nazi even, stuff.
1: you know, in, yeah, and we didn't even. By the time we uh, we started to play shows with that stuff, all the X band stuff had been cut out. Yeah. I mean, it was like. Just, you know, very like uh, I'm trying to think of like we had a song called No Pogo because we went there was a club in Sacramento that would spin new wave music and we mm-hmm. tried to go in there and pogo to it and they should get out of here and they kicked us out. So <laughs> I made a big thing. No Pogo at the CBS. Our first demo, there's a song called No Pogo, but we had a song called Right to Fight, which was very war, you know, anti-war and. So that was my thing was just it was all anti war stuff. Like we were just, I was of the age, draft age. So was, so was Dim. So was Tom. So we really did sort of feel it. Like there was this feeling like, you know, we, they might try to get us to fucking, you know, so, and everything was just so grim feeling. Like the the whole Reagan thing just made it feel like we, there was nothing that was going to happen. Like it was just bad.
0: The first couple years of the 80s is not the 80s that people think of when they think right. of the, it's not the john hughes 80s right. it's not the new wave 80s When we it's comfy. still the late 70s <laughs> yeah. it's just turning i mean the cars are even still kind of cool right like, but they're getting you know <laughs> everything is it was yeah. radio was horrible movies were horrible like everything was
1: pretty bad maybe fashion
0: i've got, got that wrong about the cars maybe the cars aren't as cool maybe it's you gotta go 10 uh, no. years back for that but uh, yeah. but still like um yeah i had a car's bell buckle <laughs> no i meant car like the the automobiles. Oh yeah. But yeah, no yeah. no I'm off by I'm off by 10 I'm off by 10 years on that. Uh, but um but I'm just thinking like like I remember that time and now when I think of the 80s I definitely think of the the good economy you know right. like stock market going crazy and yeah. new wave music and and all that, you know cocaine everywhere. Exactly like <laughs> the style of the 80s and the crazy hair and yeah. all that flashy stuff. But no not and not 80 mm-hmm. 81. That's no. just
1: it was, it was, it was like, we, we weren't even ready for the eighties and, and everything was just like, you know, and and all of a sudden I'm like, I'm a young adult here, you know, like all of a sudden I'm not a teenager anymore, I'm, but I'm still not old enough to, not that I drank, but I'm not enough to do anything, you know, except I could go to, you know, go fight somewhere. So, I mean, I, I overdram- I was really, really, uh, fatalistic about it. And I was just, every song was just like, you know, about, you know, what happens, why are we going to, you know, it was just, it was just taken, it was really protest music. It was just like, you know, my listening to my mom's music, but yeah, I mean that that was what we were doing, and dim dim didn't give a fuck, he'd sing about anything he was just he True. he was just into it for the fun and fights dim dim was probably more into <laughs> fighting than drinking, and he loved to drink and he just loved to fight he was a good fighter, he would take on three people you yeah,
0: gotta have on your side, always,
1: oh no, there was never a time where i mean if 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 anyone fucked with us, he was uh he you know he was like a pit bull and uh, you know he was great. Tom, our drummer, was the same way. They're both they're, their family were just tough people, you know, and and yeah. But so yeah, we just we spent that whole year, first couple of years, just trying to play wherever we could, and we were going. We were just having so many lineup changes. Like I would, I would, uh, I was singing as a three piece for a while, which really was when we really started to key in on how to be tight together and play faster. I my thing was is I wanted us to be the fastest band on the west coast because the only, and, and my only point of reference was hearing the mid, the seven middle-class seven inch out of Vogue, And that was just like, who, who, what is this punk? Like it's, it's too, it's so fast. It's insane. And I loved it. I thought it was the greatest thing ever. And this is probably two months before hearing pay to come, you know, cause we were West coast kids. Like these kids, kids have the different story. Like, yeah. no, we heard bad brains. <clears throat> so we were like, Holy shit, we have to be this fast at, at least. So, my goal was to try to get Tom to just please play faster. Just keep, you know, and he struggled with it, but he got really good at it. And, uh, and then we became so fast that you couldn't, I couldn't sing any lyrics. And it, we, it was just, you know, and I, it, well, I have some, a few tapes from that era, and I'm just like, oh, it's just terrible. I mean, we achieved what we wanted to be the fastest band, you know, anywhere, but it just was garbage, you know. So, yeah, that was, uh, and we had a, we tried a couple different singers out. I would, you know but it, it, pretty much i would always go back to just singing and playing guitar and that was it was the easiest we sounded the best and steve and i and tom just keyed in and we were that was always we were just tighter when we had the three of us you know
0: let me uh stop just for one second we are over 2 hours
1: are you kidding oh
0: well I, it's amazing right <laughs> and there's a lot more to Good cover luck editing but but i don't think we're done Part two is coming up where we get into the seven seconds that people are familiar with that release the records. And we talk about that progression in their sound and about how they changed, and how music was changing around the country and how they got into making records like new wind and the records that came after that, that were met with, um, interesting responses from people we get into that we get into a real discussion about straight edge and kevin's relationship to straight edge over the years and uh that was a big deal for me um we get into just a lot more um there's a full episode coming next week so come back and hear the rest of it thank you This podcast is a product of the Nobody's Knows Podcast Network. Executive Producers David R. Larson and K. Drake Streetman. Music for this episode provided by Polymorph from the record Artifacts, Demos, and Debris.